if you're not supplementing with it, you know, most people are, even the ones that are supplementing, a lot of them are still not getting enough. So that means most are deficient in vitamin C. And so the book talks about wounds, bone fractures, and shock pregnancy in the future. And this was written by Erwin Stone in 1972. So I am going to jump right in here and start with the common cold. So let's see here. I would recommend you downloading this book. Um, I'll tell you where to get it. This is where I got it. Go to type in vitamin C in quotes and type in the word stone, like rock, stone, S-T-O-N-E. So vitamincfoundation.org is where you want to go to download the book if you're going to download it. It's called The Healing Factor, Vitamin C Against Disease. You could also put that in a search engine. But go to vitamincfoundation.org and you'll see it. And then you can, uh, you'll be led to the, the page with all the chapters and the intro and part one. And you'll see the forewords by the Nobel Prize winners, Dr. Linus Pauling and Dr. Albert St. Georgie. And let's see here. Okay, so I'm going to get started here. Um, actually, let's see here. Okay, I'm going to start with Chapter 11, some info from that. Breaking the Vitamin Barrier. The discovery of ascorbic acid, and we're talking about vitamin C when I say the words ascorbic acid, and its identification as the anti-scorbutic substance, vitamin C, which means it prevents scurvy, in 1933, literally launched thousands of medical research projects on practically every known disease and pathologic condition. Here are a newly discovered here was a newly discovered substance of extremely unusual medicinal properties with almost magical curative properties for scurvy. A person at death's door from scurvy could be miraculously returned to health in a few days with a few specks of ascorbic acid. The number of medical research papers published and the variety of diseases covered in the flood of research triggered by this discovery were that five years later, in 1938, a contemporary author remarked, so many papers have now been published on this subject that it is difficult to find a single ailment to which the human or animal body is prone that has not been investigated because you know, all the diseases and the medical research papers published and all the research triggered by the discovery of vitamin C and that it works for scurvy, um, you know, they were so great that five years later in 1938 that uh, contemporary author did remark, you know, that They've, they've discovered so much, and they've researched so much, they've written so many papers, medical research papers, and published those that it's difficult to find a single ailment to which humans or animals, you know, succumb to that they have not investigated. So in 1938, and again in 1939, over 600 medical research papers on ascorbic acid were published throughout the world. 
In reviewing this tremendous volume of medical literature, one is struck by the dominating influence that the nutritional and vitamin aspects of ascorbic acid had on most of these medical investigators. This was due to their thorough indoctrination in the vitamin C hypothesis. For them, the antiscorbutic substance could only be a vitamin, and scurvy was just a dietary irregularity. They also knew that the merest trace of ascorbic acid, a few milligrams a day, would serve as a curative dose for scurvy. Thus, when, the, when they tackled other diseases in the early 1930s, they used dosage levels found satisfactory for scurvy. While many of the therapeutic results indicated encouraging good effects, just as many showed a lack of this low dosage bias that, grows that throws grave doubts on the usefulness of the clinical results reported over the next several decades. These early investigators also had practical reasons for using the low dosage levels. In the early 1930s, ascorbic acid was relatively rare and expensive, which was rationed by the early sources of supply. Investigators were limited by availability and could not have given bigger doses even if they had wanted to. In the late 1930s, scarcity was no longer a problem since large-scale synthetic production was getting underway and there was a substantial drop in prices. But the low dosage tests continued. So they were just giving very low dosage of, of ascorbic acid back then. In those early days, therapeutic doses of 50 to 100 milligrams per day were considered large, and by vitamin criteria they were. It is thoroughly disheartening, however, to go through the later literature and find in paper after paper, in spite of the early lack of success, the continued use of these low dosage levels. In other words, they should have amped up the ascorbic acid dosages. They would have gotten so much better results, and it would have been life-saving for people and animals, etc. These workers repeated and repeated the early mistake of using ineffective small dosages. Hardly anyone was inspired to increase the dosages and test higher levels to see if they were more effective. This solution is even stranger when we remember that ascorbic acid is a substance that has virtually no toxicity so there was no danger from a substantial dosage increase. These workers were so imbued with the vitamin mental block, meaning they called it and referred to it as a vitamin, ascorbic acid or vitamin C, that it, it basically brainwashed them into thinking that they did not need to adjust the dosage higher and give people more of it because it's a vitamin. So therefore, since it's considered a vitamin, you know, they thought that they were giving a large amount by giving 50 to 100 milligrams a day. People that are familiar with vitamin C and research it and take it, 50 to 100 milligrams is definitely extremely low dose, you know, an extremely low dose, especially per day. But, um, even if one was to take that much at a time, that's considered a very low dose for most people that have researched and believe in taking vitamin C. 
Now, there's a lot of people out there that take vitamin C that have not researched it that just think they only need 50 milligrams or 75 milligrams or 100 milligrams a day. So those are the people that just take it because they might have heard it was good or it's just a vitamin, another vitamin they need to take, and they may be getting, you know, vitamin C from a multivitamin pill or something or a tablet or whatever, or they're just taking on the side a little bit of vitamin C and maybe, you know, they may be taking more than 50 to 100 milligrams. They may be taking a half a gram, 500 milligrams, et cetera. But, you know, most people that have researched vitamin C are going to take more than 500 milligrams, which is half a gram per day. So, since they just viewed it as a vitamin back then in the 30s, et cetera, then they just thought, you know, they were already giving a large amount when they were giving only 50 to 100 milligrams per day. So they didn't have the success they they should have had and they would have had had they given a lot more of the ascorbic acid, also known as vitamin C, to people and to animals if they were doing that. So, But then again, animals, it depends on the size of the animal. I mean, a cat is going to, you know, for instance, I would give a cat <clears throat> about a tenth as much as I would give a 150-pound person. If they're, you know, or um, let's see, if they were 10 pounds, that would be 15 times less than a 150-pound person. So because, you know, 10 will go into 150 15 times. So they would need one-fifteenth of the amount a 150-pound person would need, et cetera. So um, they thought of ascorbic acid back in the 30s as a vitamin and as a vitamin, they expected miracles from trace amounts. Trace amounts. What was needed was medication, not alimentation. But this simple fact escaped the majority of investigators. Successful therapy with ascorbic acid, meaning vitamin C, was reported, but only in the work of a few investigators who used sufficiently high doses of many grams Per day, and just think, when we're talking milligrams and grams, remember, a thousand milligrams equal one gram. So when they say many grams, that would be many thousands of milligrams per day. Then, you know, a few investigators that were using that much were having some success with using that much ascorbic acid or vitamin C. So these rare individuals were the ones who provided the foundations of mega-ascorbic therapy, um, mega-ascorbic therapy, which have to be more thoroughly extended and explored. And that was written in 1972. So the genetic disease concept now provides a clear and definite rationale, rationale for the use of these multigram doses meaning many grams per day per person or many thousands of milligrams per day per person, which are the same thing, really, because a thousand milligrams equal one gram. So one of the few clinical investigators who realized the importance of dosage levels in ascorbic acid therapy was Dr. F.R. Klinner, that's Frederick Klinner, also known as Fred, who in the late 40s and early 1950s successfully pioneered the remarkable and dramatic therapeutic results in diseases such as poliomyelitis, 
still largely ignored by medicine, and that will be discussed later in the book in the chapter on viral diseases. But let us read his reviews on the work preceding his studies. A review of the literature in preparation of this paper, however, presented an almost unbelievable record of such studies, the years of labor in animal experimentations, the cost in human effort, and in grants and the volumes written make it difficult to understand how so many investigators could have failed in comprehending the one thing that would have given positive results a decade ago, meaning in 1962 or so. Uh, in the 60s. This one thing was the size of the dose of vitamin C employed and the frequency of its administration. No one would expect to relieve kidney colic with a five-grain aspirin tablet. By the same logic, we cannot hope to destroy the virus organism with doses of vitamin C of 10 to 400 milligrams. The results which we have reported in virus diseases using vitamin C as the antibiotic may seem fantastic. These results, however, are no different from the results we see when administering the sulfur or mold-derived drugs against many other kinds of infections. And the later, we'll be right back. I love this song, so stick around.
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
Welcome back to New World Order Info, and I'm Melissa Roxanne. You're listening to me on TheAmericanVoice.com, and it is Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, 2015, so happy Labor Day to you all. And, um, you know, you can go to our website, TheAmericanVoice.com, AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can join us in the chat room and uh, just did get in there, so there's several people in there, and you can check out our news page, and uh, you can check out what we have available in the Superstore, you can uh, find our wonderful organic sulfur there, which is very popular, and we do still have that special going for those people that order for Um, packages, four pounds of the organic sulfur in one order, and they get a free LED light bulb. So I know Frank has been sending those out for the people that do that. Um, And he has a really good deal, and and that's the best way to save the most amount on shipping is to get four pounds at a time. So there's people out there that take advantage of that that are smart, you know, people. Plus, they're probably stocking up on the organic sulfur, which is a good idea because there will come a day when one cannot, you know, get to a store to buy it. And um, that day, I think, is coming, and we know it is. We just don't know when it is coming. So stock up now while you can on organic sulfur and vitamin C, ascorbic acid, um, the lipospheric vitamin C by liveonlabs.com. I would advise that. You know, that's what I would do anyway in that situation. Um, and so we did get some more. We got a couple of boxes. I definitely want to get more, but I'm happy that we at least have those. Although that's not going to go very far, but, you know, you can only do what you can afford to do and then just keep doing it, you know. Just get a little at a time and... Hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get more um, in the very near future and continue to do so. And the same with ascorbic acid, so, um, you know, and all the other things. And we we do have, you know, we have gotten a lot, a lot of things, but everybody probably could always use more, um, you know, for the end of the world as we know it, and which isn't really the end of the world, it's just, you know, when the grid goes down or some big catastrophe happens or martial law, et cetera, et cetera. So at that time, you know, you're going to kick yourself. We all will for all the preparation that we did not do. So, you know, instead of kicking yourself, start getting it, you know. Like I told you last week on my show, start going to those those garage sales if you haven't, you know. go Go to them as soon as you can. You know, instead of just taking the weekend off because you're not working and relaxing or doing whatever, it's relaxing to go to those cells to me. But, you know, um, you're going to wish you had because you can find such great deals there. The same goes with thrift stores. If you haven't been to thrift stores or you barely ever go, find out where all the ones are in your area and start going to them and finding out, you know, who has the best deals, you know, who has the best stuff, Um And do it now while you still can. And if you just, even if you're going to work every day and coming home, if if you could go on your lunch hour or 
is you can go on the way home from work. You know, you can just run in a thrift store, spend 15 minutes, get what you can get. That's a good deal. That might help you in the future for survival purposes. You'll be surprised what you can find. Um, For instance, sleeping bags. That's a good place to get them as a thrift store or a garage sale. But I find them quite often, most of the time, thrift stores do have them. They're like $10. And it's not going to be the, the, you know, it may not be um, one that is rated for the coldest area or something, but you never know what you're going to find. I went to a garage sale and uh, I bought many things, uh, I don't know, probably a couple of years back to this particular garage sale, and I had to drive a ways to get there, you know. But when I got there, I got some really good deals, including two down sleeping bags. They were marked, I think, $20 a piece. The lady gave them to me without me even asking her to come down. I, well, I think I just said, you know, what what's the best you can do on these or something? Um, but she came down to, instead of 20 a piece at her garage sale, she came down to 15 for both. So I was able to get two down-filled, high-quality sleeping bags full of, you know, down feathers that a goose would have, which, you know, is like the warmest thing there is uh, for $15. And then the same day I got a refrigerator. They had marked at 50 It looked like it was in fantastic condition, super clean, they were selling it for their neighbor. Frank needed a refrigerator because our extra refrigerator that he kept outside of his old studio um, stopped working because we had weather in the teens uh, in the winter that year. And I think the Freon fr- froze in the refrigerator freezer we had outdoors. Um, it was in kind of a breezeway with a roof and everything, but... Um, so that froze, and then we had a deep freezer, chest freezer, in our on our porch, and and I think the Freon froze in it because everything quit working at the same time when we had the um, weather in the teens here. You know, it got to I don't know what 15 degrees or something, maybe a little colder. So whatever it was, it was in the teens, and and that's when those appliances quit working. So I went to that garage sale, and I'd been looking around on Craigslist and stuff for a good refrigerator for him and stuff, and he had gone to some appliance places and all that looking. But the appliance places, they wanted hundreds of dollars, you know, and uh, even though they were used appliances, which is a better deal than paying brand new, and we have gotten brand new appliances at times. We've gotten a washer and we we got a nice side-by-side refrigerator freezer new but many many times you can get things that cost a thousand or more dollars fifteen hundred dollars or a few hundred dollars that are brand new you can get those off of craigslist or at a garage sale or at a thrift store whatever a lot of times for a lot less money the same exact thing or something comparable to it so you know, it's almost crazy to go out and buy things brand new when you can save so much money. Anyway, so at that garage sale, they had a fridge, and it was it was a, refri- a refrigerator with a freezer on top. And they had it marked $50, and I just went up and looked at it, and uh, they said, yes, it's working. You know, it's it gets really cold. It was plugged in, and they said it's our neighbors. And so they gave it to me for 40 you know, instead of 50 
and I bought a bunch of other stuff, and they gave me some free stuff, and, you know, I walked out of there spending not that much money with some really nice, high-quality two-down sleeping bags um, that were purchased, I believe, from a local store in the area from the label, which is an outdoors-type store, and uh, then... um, you know, we went back and got the refrigerator, and he loves that refrigerator. He has it in his place that he built, um, and, you know, he uses it every day, and it's a great refrigerator freezer, and it was only $40, so you just never know what you're going to find, and, um, you know, I definitely highly recommend going to garage sales, estate sales as well, estate auctions, um, thrift stores, all these type of things, and you can get things. Um, like I told you, uh, I told you last week, I think, that I found a rug for Frank's Place. Um, I bid on it online. It was an online estate sale auction. And I told you it was an 8 by 10 but it's actually a 10 by 12 And the person that wrote the description, the lady that holds the auctions, and she's the estate liquidator, um... She's been in the estate sale business since, like, 2000. Well, mostly garage sales. She started out doing garage sales, and then she moved into estate sales. And she makes a lot of money doing that. She makes over 100000 a year doing that. But anyway, um, so I bought that rug, and it was a 10 by 12, and I got it for, like, $30, $30 or $32 tops. It's couch, the same. I got it for 30 to $32. And we got a lot of other things from that person that had those uh, auctions. Um, some were in person that we'd, you know, uh, just go, and, and mainly me, I would go to the home that they were having the estate sale at, and then um, Frank, a lot of times, would go when we had to go pick up the items, and then she had the ones online. So, you know, take advantage of those. Look for them on Craigslist and in your area, and, and, you know, look on your local paper, your local free paper, or, you know, there's buys galore here you could look in. There's the, the nickel. Some places have what's called the penny saver. All these places, your local newspaper, look for garage and estate sales and auctions. And, you know, look in your phone book. Look online for things like that. Look, type in garage sales in the city you're interested in going to or the big city around you or something or your, you know, your area, different cities in your area. And you'll find all these things listed. And then there's eBay and, you know, lots of places where you can get used items inexpensively. Um, And I told you I got that three-way propane fridge, which is AC, power DC, and then um, propane. I got it for $5 at an estate sale. Um, I've gotten cots, army cots, at thrift stores or little cots, you know, that you can fold out that would be great to take with you camping or, you know, if you needed extra room for people that come and you don't have enough beds or whatever. Um, I've gotten so many things. You know, I've gotten propane stoves at thrift stores. Um I've gotten lots of heaters, ceramic heaters, and I've gotten hand warmers, tons of those, you know, where you can just go and find like 50 or 100 in a bundle for $10 or less or $5, whatever. I've gotten propane regulators. There's all kinds of things, you know, there's tools. 
You can buy somebody's whole tool shed full of tools, full of nails, full of screws, full of power tools, all kinds of things. And you can find different power tools at times in thrift stores. Um, let's see. I went to a thrift store the other day. I got a really nice, high-quality glue gun. Uh, I think it's a Craftsman. I got it for a dollar. So, you know, there's all kind of things you can take advantage of. There's clothing at these places. At thrift stores, I just found one where they have clothing for $1.99. Um, and I, I, you know, sometimes I get those and wear them, like, you know, more like things when it's cold in the winter, um, fleece and, you know, heavy-duty coats. Those are great deals at the thrift stores. You can get coats that would cost hundreds of dollars at thrift stores that are fantastic, that will keep you extremely warm when you have no power if you're one of the people that, you know, a lot of us probably won't. Most of us probably won't. You know, even if you're able to to live off the grid or something, you're able to do it now or before all that, before the grid goes down, things could happen that could cause us all to to not have any power. So we're going to need to keep as warm as possible. For instance, if solar flares happen, if there's an EMP strike or they do something to take the power out, and so that fries all the computers that aren't in Faraday cages, that fries anything with computers in it. Even LED flashlights, according to Frank, won't work then. So get something besides LED flashlights. I mean, they're great to have, but I would get the solar flashlights, the solar hand crank flashlights and radios and combination devices and things like that while you still can. You know, so look for all these things. But um, you know, we could have we could maybe be without the the sunlight for a year. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but it could happen. Um, and that means that no plants are gonna grow. That means that for those of you that plan to garden or that are gardening now, um, you know, that may not be a a viable option when there is no sunlight for a year. So do what you can to think of ulterior, you know, alt- whatever you want, alternative methods, um, you know, to live. You're going to need canned and dehydrated food in that instance, or you're going to need to find a way to grow things indoors. But if you don't have electricity, that's going to be a problem if there is no sunlight, too, you know, and you can't grow them outdoors or indoors. So you got to think of all these different ways and different, you know, scenarios that could happen and then say, okay, if if there's no sunlight for a year or longer or no sunlight for a period of time, what can I do to grow food or what can I do to eat if I cannot grow food, you know? And I was thinking, you know, while you still can, if you don't have big um, water storage tanks, which some people do that live in rural areas and some people may not, um, Well, of course, you could collect rainwater, um, although they may deem that illegal, but hey, you know, that's an option. Um, I would definitely filter that water. I would not drink it unfiltered with everything that's bad in the chemtrails and so on. And with the things to come, what they may do, I would definitely not drink the rainwater unless it's been filtered correctly, so... You know, make sure and get the proper filters that will work without electricity um, and things like that. And uh, solar distillers would be a good thing to have, more than one if possible for a backup. You could build your own, you know. 
Um, and then different things that will work with the power and the gravity-fed systems, things like that to purify the water. But you could save even your your glass jars and put water in those. You know, anything you can use to store water in, if you're one of the people especially, and even if you do have water tanks, I would still, you know, get clean glass jars, clean them out with distilled vinegar, which will be really good to kill anything you know, and to disinfect it well, and then rinse it well, and dry it well, and then fill it with water, you know, and just find, if you can, find a place to store those, do it. You know, get it get it now while you can, fill them up with water, you know, and then do what you can to save water in glass, but that's free. If you're going to buy products, save your jars, that's a free place to have to store your water, and it's going to last a lot longer than a plastic container would and then you have the plastic factor anyway so that's something that I think even Frank and I are going to do um, is to to just use the glass bottles even though we do have water tanks you know that's just an additional way to store not a large amount of water but I've heard of people being in situations where I've read about people I think that you know, one man stored, like, lots of water in, um, I think it was just, you know, plastic water bottles. And, uh, you know, it might have been the gallon size, I'm not sure. But whatever it was, I think he stored them in wherever he was living. I don't remember if it was an apartment or what. But it took up a lot of space, like a whole bedroom or something. And his wife was not happy that he was doing this. You know, she thought it was stupid. They needed the space. They had all the, these containers of water everywhere she didn't like it and then I think the power went out and they didn't have any water and she was very grateful that he had done what he did so you know and you may live with your spouse or family members that think you're crazy to be into survival and preparedness but you know things that you do may save your life and theirs and and the same goes with vitamin c and ascorbic acid and Apple cider vinegar and distilled vinegar, you know, disinfection purposes. That's what distilled vinegar is for, and the apple cider is for your health. So um, the health of your animals your animals, and your family members, etc. It could be something that could save your life. Baking soda could save your life. They're talking about uh, the Spanish flu. I believe they're working on recreating the Spanish flu, or they probably already have, and that killed hundreds of millions of people worldwide in the early part of the 1900s. Baking soda saved people's lives that used it for the Spanish flu. So stock up on that, too, while you can. And I'll be right back to tell you more about vitamin C. On the other side, we have another hour to go on New World Order Info on AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Yeah, I love my baby, my heart and soul. Love like I have the 
mess with her, you'll see a man get mad. She's my sweet little thing. She's my pride and joy. She's my sweet little baby. I'm a little
You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
All right, welcome back to New World Order Info. It's Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, 2015. And I'm Melissa Roxanne. You're listening to me on TheAmericanVoice.com. And you can also go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And so I was telling you about different things, you know, you could do to save money, to get survival and preparedness items, um, you know, so stock up now while you can, and, um, you know, it would be a good thing, I believe, to get lots of vitamin C, the crystallized powder form, you know, crystalline vitamin C, it's like, looks like little crystals, actually, it's not really powder, um, well, actually, there's different kinds, uh, but there's, they call it crystalline, and it's, it's more fine, uh, than the the sulfur, for instance, which is like a, a crystal, little crystals. But um, anyway, the organic sulfur. But those would be great to stock up on. The baking soda would be great to stock up on. The lipospheric vitamin C from liveonlabs.com. L-I-V-O-N, V as in Victor, O-N as in Nancy. Live on labs.com, live on labs, uh, vitamin C, lipospheric kind, that's very life-saving, so is ascorbic acid, you know, the, the vitamin C, the crystalline vitamin C. So those would be great to stock up on, the apple cider vinegar in glass bottles with the mother, organic, raw apple cider vinegar would be another great thing to stock up on, and, and to use these things, you know, for the health of you and your loved ones now, of course, but to stock up on for the future when you know, the plague is out there, lots of different plagues, and people are, bought, you know, dying and like crazy, and people cannot survive because they did not prepare, they did not do what the Bible tells them, and what they should have to save their lives and their families' lives is, you know, in many different ways, and so they're going to be dying, and people are probably going to be murdered. You know, I'm sure they're going to be murdered, but um, a lot of people will be murdered. So, you know, people are going to go crazy when they can't get into their bank accounts anymore. Um, That could be coming very soon. Mm -hmm. Um, They could tell us that there's a virus or something and that you're not allowed to use your bank accounts for a certain period of time, maybe over the weekend. Maybe they'll say that, you know, they'll do it on a Friday and the president or whoever will come out and say we have some kind of virus and the software or whatever and we need to fix this so you cannot get any money out of your ATM, you cannot go to the bank, you cannot use your debit card, et cetera, et cetera. You can't use credit cards. So people that use those and EBT cards you know, that are getting those from the government um, for food stamps and things like that, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to work. So imagine, remember when that store, I think that was a test, when, well, actually what I think happened was (laughs) something went wrong and people were able to get things on their EBT cards that, you know, they had, like, these huge balances or something. But it may be also, it seems like there might have been a time when their EBT cards didn't work for a little bit or something. So that if that was the case, that was probably a test, you know, to see what people would do. But just imagine how crazy it's going to be when nobody can use debit cards, credit cards. 
Nobody can use any kind of electronic banking or ways to get their money out. And, uh, you know, I think the shelves will be bare. People are going to go nuts. And um, and then especially if the government, the president, whoever, which they always do lie, and makes up something and tells us, oh, it'll all be fixed by Monday or in a couple of days, and then you'll be able to use it again, then that day comes and, you know, you're not able to get access to your money. So I would be getting all the money I could get out of my banking and credit union, et cetera, accounts now. And, you know, I mean, if if you want to leave some in there, I mean, that's just me. I can't tell you you should do it. But, you know, get as much out as you can get out and try to maybe stop using the bank, the credit union or whatever to do your your business, you know, and find other ways so that you are not going to lose your money. The same thing with the safe deposit boxes, safety deposit boxes, because they can go in there and steal everything you have. It's like keeping your guns in another location, like maybe your friend's house or, you know, whatever. Keeping your, you know, giving the government your guns, and then that's kind of what it's like. Giving a private corporation your guns and uh, having them hold them for you. And then, you know, them telling you, well, I'm sorry, but you can't come and get your guns, you know. Then what are you going to do for self-defense, you know. Hopefully you'll, you can have some other way, but, you know, if you lose your guns, you lose your ammunition or whatever, then that's not good. And so why would you store your money, what, what they term money, which is just, a confidence game, but why would they? You store your fiat, you know, currency, or your computerized digits, you know, that they call currency, in a bank. Why not? You know, for one thing, I would be getting gold and silver all I could um, while you still can, and also you're going to need cash to have on hand, you know, so that when everything does hit the fan and you can still use cash, you will have it. You know, so that's a good thing to have, too. But, um, you know, get these things while you can and get whatever most people recognize, you know, the most for the gold and silver, for instance. You know, instead of getting something that they're not going to know what the heck it is, get what is most commonly used, you know, that people will recognize and will be valuable to barter with. And make sure not to just get the big coins, you know, Um but to get the smaller denominations, too, and to get things to barter with, you know. I mean, you could go get 100 Band-Aids at the Dollar Tree, for instance. You could go get lighters that are, these are cheap things for a dollar. You know, you could go to garage sales and get things to barter with that are even cheaper than a dollar, maybe 10 cents a quarter, stuff like that. You never know. If you can find them that cheap, you know, sometimes you'll, be blessed and find things that cheap at yard sales and things, you know, or at thrift stores. You can get good deals on things there. Um, you know, look for generators that you can get cheap. I know Harbor Freight had one, and I forget the details, and they still have it, I believe. And by the way, they're having a bunch of sales coming up, so you might want to, if you have a Harbor Freight in your area, go to those and get their little sales paper and it'll tell you all their upcoming sales. And I think they're having a bunch this month. Some 
are outside. Some are half off sales at Harbor um, Freight and Tool. So go to, I think it's harborfreight.com, and you'll probably, hopefully, see something listed about those sales. And, uh, you know, there's like four different ones, I believe, I saw in their little flyer, which is like several pages long of all their sales. And they do have a generator in there. Maybe Frank could tell me if he could in the chat room what the generator, you know, what all, you know, some of the details about it. But um, I believe it was it was very little money. Um, and then there may even, okay, 900-watt generator for $99. And um, I'm not sure. I guess it's a gas power generator. So that is a great deal. Then there's the propane generators. I don't know if you can get those there, but uh anyway, that's something good to have and like Frank said, it's a gas generator, the one that's $99 for 900 watts. And, you know, propane generators if you can store propane, which you can for long periods of time, and the big propane tanks, get as many of those as you can, get you the propane generator. Um, and that's going to, the propane is going to last a lot longer than gas would, even with stable in it. So that's something great to stock up on. Um, another thing I found, and I don't know what it's called. I'm going to see if I can find it listed right now. But um, let me go there real quick. Anyway, it's this little fuel that... You could use camping or, you know, whatever outside. And the Dollar Tree has it. Most people aren't aware, but um, it's at Dollar Tree. And I just happened to see on some survival thing or on somebody on YouTube posted a comment about it. And they told everybody, you know, that they found these there for a buck. And they're a lot cheaper than the stores. Um, I've found them in garage sales, too. Um, I've found them in thrift stores. Um, but anyway, I'm going to see if I can find it on here real quick. So I just went to DollarTree.com, and I'm going to type in fuel and see what happens. See if I can find it. But anyway, yeah, here it is. It's called Fancy Heat Canned Fuel. 2.8-ounce cans, Okay. Your Dollar Tree may have this. And where I found it at my Dollar Tree is in the, um, it is in the kind of party section where the wedding section is. So they have, like, you know, cheap plastic drinking glasses, like if somebody's getting married and they're, you know, things like that. Catering. It's in the catering section. So look there. I'm not sure where it might be at your store, but ask. And it's called Fancy Heat Canned Fuel 2.8 ounce cans. You can get a case of those, and that's 24 in a case. So they're a buck a piece, and those will last a while. So that's like emergency heat right there. Um, and that's the cheapest I've seen those. So you might want to stock up on those. You might want to order them. You can uh, ask your Dollar Tree if you have one in your area. They're in so many people's areas. So um, this is a huge nationwide corporation. 
and uh, or ask your local store, whatever it is, you know, if you can get cheap stuff, Dollar Tree, you know, Family Dollar, Fred's, all these different stores they have, um, nine-nine cent stores, ask them if they can get this stuff. Tell them the brand name, Fancy Heat Canned Fuel 2.8 ounce cans. See if you can get them to get, you know, some cases of those. And Dollar Tree, in a lot of places, will let you go to them and order it, or maybe they'll tell you to order it online, but then you can have it shipped to the store on their trucks, and it won't cost you anything for shipping, and they'll reserve it for you in the back room or whatever, so that you can just go in there when they tell you to come in when the truck comes in, and for our stores, that's on Wednesday, and you can pick up a case of stuff at a time. So, I would be looking for that if I were you. Fancy Heat Canned Fuel 2.8 ounce cans. I'm going to click on it and see here what it says. You can go to DollarTree.com, go to the search bar, put in fuel. You'll see it. It comes up the very first thing. And it just says the best way to keep food warm at large gatherings. Canned fuel is designed to burn under chafing dishes for up to two hours to maintain heat for buffets, cookouts, and banquets. They can even be used as emergency heat or to cook with while camping or in emergency situations. The case includes 24 2.8 ounce fancy heat canned fuel. So, um, that is a, a little thing right there that you may not have thought of, and that would be good to barter with, too. So, I'd be stocking up on that. Um, YouTube has tons of videos, I'm sure most of you probably know, that you can access to see how people do things. Um, and let's see, I just typed in Fancy Heat Canned Fuel 2.8 ounce cans into Google, and I'm seeing that come up 12 pack for $17.85 on eBay. And so, you know, you can get 12 on eBay for $17.85, or you can get 24 from Dollar Tree for $24. So you'd be much better off getting 24 at Dollar Tree for that'd be $12 for 12 of them. Here they're selling for 17.85 for 12. Plus you have to pay shipping on eBay. So see, you're going to get a lot better deal if you go to Dollar Tree and get them by the case. Or you can just get five or six, whatever you can afford at a time, and pick them up. You know, however many they have at the store or whatever. So that's just one little thing. Um, and I see here there's fancy heat burn duration test video on YouTube. But on YouTube, there's all kind of videos about heat um, and, and about fuel, you know, for heat, for cooking and things like that, that you can find. There's off-grid, you know, stuff about how to make heaters, how to make air conditioners when you're off the grid, how to make solar ones, how to make rocket stoves. You know, I've seen them made out of bricks. I've seen them made out of... Concrete blocks. I've seen them made out of a lot of things. I don't know how safe those are because then some people will say those will explode. But I have seen people using them in videos of those on e on um, YouTube, and that they've used them for a while and with no problems. So I don't know. I'm gonna build one, or me and Frank, whatever Frank and I, um, definitely at least one, but probably more than one. I want to do that. Start using it now. You know, a rocket stove, and I've seen some that have, you know, multiple, you know, burners, if you want to call it that. So, there's good videos on YouTube. You can look at look at those, um, find those, and find different ways to build things. So, 
Um, do that now while you can before everything hits the fan and get all the supplies you need and start testing it out, you know, start doing it, start cooking outside if you can, um, some, and, and see what it's going to be like, you know, and what, think of things you can easily cook that will be cheap and that will be filling and that will be, you know, the nutritional values that you need and your loved ones need and your animals need, whatever it is, you know, get, get the things you can, get the things you don't have to cook too. Um, but get the vitamin C, get the ascorbic acid, get the things you're going to need to save your life and your loved one's life, your animal's life, et cetera, lives, and uh, get those now I can. So I'm going to get back into um, vitamin C now. So um, this book, like I told you about, is, um, you know, from the vitamincfoundation.org. You can just type in vitamin C into a search engine and the word stone for Irwin Stone. And you can download this book and, you know, it would be a great thing to do. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to try to get back real quick to tell you. The name of it is The Healing Factor of Vitamin C Against Disease by Irwin Stone. So I would advise you to download this book, save it to your hard drive, and print it out at least one copy and store that in a place where it won't hopefully get ruined and do that now and get the vitamin C while you can, you know, and then at least you'll have something and you'll know, okay, it works for all these things and more, but here here are just some of the things that this works for. Okay. So I'm going to get back to reading from this book, Chapter 11, and it says here, Okay, so they were using these little amounts of vitamin C because they just considered it a vitamin, like in the 1930s. And they said the results, which we have reported in virus diseases using vitamin C as an antibiotic, may seem fantastic. These results, however, are no different from the results we see when administering the sulfur, sulfur or mold-derived drugs against many other kinds of infections. In the latter instances, we expect and usually get 48 to 72-hour cures. Okay, and that's when you're, they're talking about using the mold-derived sulfa drugs against infections. It is laying no claim to miracle working then when we say that many virus infections can be cleared within a similar time limit with ascorbic acid. Okay, and this says asterisk. In parentheses, these comments are contained in his 1949 paper entitled The Treatment of Poliomyelitis and Other Virus Diseases with Vitamin C. They call it poliomyelitis, but it's polio. That's just the longer word for polio. So they're talking here about Erwin Stone wrote that in his 1949 paper about the treatment of poliomyelitis and other vitamin diseases with vitamin C. That was the title. Okay. This lone voice has been echoing unheeded through the maze of medical literature for nearly two decades, while the still unsuccessful search for another antiviral agent still goes one. So, you know, nowadays they're, they're talking, the scientists, the doctors, et cetera, especially the scientists, they're talking about superbugs because doctors, you know, they just keep doling out the drugs and, you know, they don't seem to care. They just do what they're told to make that money. Most doctors, most allopath doctors, you know, all of them, basically. Um, 
So we have those superbugs, these super bacteria, bad bacteria. And it's to the point now where they're saying, you know, they're immune to so many different antibiotics that the antibiotics are not working because the powers that be, Satan's minions, Satan, you know, and his minions, they've loaded up what they term our food chemicals, basically, frankenfood. Not only with genetically modified organisms, not only have they radiated it, not only have they dumped fluoride in it, both food and water, or water supply. You know, then there's the pharmaceutical drugs that are in all of the water. Um, you know, if you're on the city water system, et cetera, and you don't have your own septic tank, those are all in the water. Um, you know, and so there's so many different things. There's all the dyes and the food colorings that are cancer-causing. There's carcinogens and everything. There's the chlorine bleach that they use to so-called purify the water, you know, uh, kill things in the water, which also kills people because it causes cancer. So there's so many different things. Um, But they're also putting all kinds of antibiotics in so many things. Like uh, they're, they're they're splicing them into vegetables and fruit now. So not only is it in the meat and the milk and dairy products, all these antibiotics they use to give to animals, to they claim to keep them from getting sick. They give them these broad-spectrum antibiotics. So that means in turn when they give them to the animals that are not even sick or they give them to the animals, period, and then you eat that animal or that animal product, like dairy, etc., the meat, and now the vegetables and fruit, too, then... You know, it's like you taking a dose of antibiotics, broad-spectrum antibiotics, etc. So, instead of doing that, they should be giving the animals vitamin C. And vitamin C would kill and get rid of all these things. You know, it would help them to get rid of bad bacterial infections and to prevent them. It would prevent viral infections and get rid of viral, you know, infections as well. So it was a great antibiotic for the bad bacteria and the, you know, so-called superbugs. It wouldn't even make them immune to it, you know. And it would also work for for viruses, which antibiotics don't work for. They don't even give you anything if you go to the doctor. Let's just say you go to the doctor and they did some kind of test and they found out you had a virus, which they don't do. They just give you antibiotics for everything. But they don't work for viruses. So basically, you're just out of luck if you go to the doctor and you have a virus. And they give you stuff for bad bacterial infection, which are antibiotics. They may not work because they've doled them out so much. And plus, you're eating them, you're getting them into food because the animals are given the same ones. Um, so it may not work against that bad bacteria infection you have. But if you have a virus, it's not going to work either. So you'd be, you know, I would be anyway because I can't tell you what to do. But I would take vitamin C for both and for any kind of injury, um, for any kind of ailment, period. So, you know, like I say, check with your doctor and all that stuff. But I would be stocking up on the vitamin C. Um, So they're, they're talking here about the sulfur drugs and all that. But, hey, we have vitamin C, and it works better than anything and everything. And it saves people's lives and animals. Things that, you know, they try other things and or they say there's nothing we can do. Vitamin C would save the lives of those people and animals if they did it. And they gave them enough and they gave it to them often enough. Or you and your family. So learn what you can while you can. 
You know, there's all kind of talk about stuff happening in September. It may happen, some of it, some of it may not, or one one thing could happen, and it may not happen. It could just be a lot of propaganda. It could be put out by the powers that be. Who knows? They could be trying to discredit people by making so many people believe that there is going to, there are going to be things that happen this month that don't happen. Um, so who knows? But in case it does, get what you can while you can now, whether September you know, happens and then nothing happens or September happens and something bad happens. Who knows? It could be a, an economy crash, the economic crash. could be some kind of banking thing where they close the banks or whatever like I was talking about. You may have 72 hours or less to before martial law happens if the banking thing happens, you know, and they say the banks are closed or you can't use your debit or credit cards, you can't use ATMs, you can't get money out of your accounts if you go to buy something and get 20 bucks extra, you're not going to be allowed, something like that. Just know if that happens, you may just have a short period of time before martial law takes place. They may not even call it martial law. They may just call it emergency or something, you know. But they're probably going to be curfews and there's going to be all kinds of things that happen because they've done all these executive orders you know, and they have all these laws against hoarding and all that. So they're going to be coming eventually to try to steal all your supplies. So keep that in mind. Find a place to hide it. Hide as much of it as you can. You know, bury it. All these things if you can. Okay, it's time for a break. We'll be back with more on the other side on AmericanVoiceRadio.com on New World Order Info. So stick around. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions about hate and death and war. Because when we stop and look around us, there is nothing that we need. In a world of persecution that is burning in. I'm looking for a man 
washing of the sea There lies the land I once lived in And she's waiting there for me But in the grey of the morning My mind becomes confused Between the dead and the sleeping And the road that I must choose I'm looking for someone to change my life I'm looking for a miracle in my life And if you could see what it's done to me To lose the love I knew Could safely lead me to the land that I once knew To learn as we grow old The secrets of our Not the way that you say it when you do those things to me. It's more the way you really mean it when you tell me what will be. soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
back to New World Order Info. I see my cat stepped on my mic button and turned it off, so I didn't know. I had to wait for it to let me speak and it go out in the air. So anyway, welcome back to New World Order Info. I'm Melissa Roxanne. Happy Labor Day. It's Monday, September 7th, 2015. There's all these Labor Day sales. I found out um, the Labor Day sale is going on now for Harbor Freight. I don't know. I guess it's three hours um, ahead of what time it is here, but it should still be going on even on the East Coast. So you could go to harborfreight.com and take advantage of their sale. Um, I know they have a 20% off coupon, for instance, and a lot of things on sale. That coupon may not cover some of the more expensive products like generators, but uh, they do have a lot of those on sale. And I saw that that generator that was 99, it looks like it's 119 now, the 900-watt one. And uh, so uh, I did see that one listed there. And I had said it's a gas generator. Um, But apparently it's one of those that you have to use a mixture of oil and gas. So, um, you know... I don't know, 100 parts gas and one part oil, I think it is. So, anyway, so they have that one, and they have a bunch of others there. And they're going to have a lot of sales coming up, so find out if you can about those and go to them, and you'll get some good deals, you know. Or you may be one of those people that doesn't like Harbor Freight, you know. I don't know. But I do know that their tools, uh, I think their hand tools, if they're if they have any if you have any problem with those they have a lifetime warranty I believe so you can go back and and give them the old tool and they'll replace that for you so you know that's a good thing to know if you weren't aware of that and I asked Frank what kind of water pump that um he got and let's see here it's the 12 volt DC transfer pump. 
and it's by Pacific Hydrostar, and I guess he got it at Harbor Freight because he gave me a link to that. And it's a portable 12-volt pump that you can hook up to your car battery, to a 12-volt battery, to pump water into whatever, you know, like from your well, from whatever, to pump it to our water tank, from our well, etc. And it's uh, on sale now. It's usually $60, $59.99, and it's on sale right now for $39.99. So they have reviews there. You can read the reviews on all their products if somebody did leave a review. So if you go online to harborfreight.com, you can look and, you know, read reviews. Um, so anyway, there's that. And that generator is usually $179.99. It's on sale right now for $119.99. And um, so that's the one that's the 900 peak, 700 running watts, 2 horsepower, 63cc, 2 cycle gas generator. Item number 60338 at harborfreight.com if you're interested. And they have a lot of others, bigger generators and stuff like that. So, um... They've got even a 16,000 peak one, 15,000 running watt one, but that says tractor driven. Um, they've got another one here, 11,000 watt one for 1,600. It's usually 2,500. It's on sale right now for 1,600. So there's a lot of them on here. You can look on Craigslist too for generators. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, so, uh, I'm going to just uh, get back into the information here about vitamin C. Um, let's see here. So, I told you about how um, they were just basically using it as a vitamin, vitamin C. And, uh, you know, they weren't using enough of it. And so it says here, the lone, this lone voice, meaning Erwin Stone... This lone voice has been echoing unheeded through the maze of medical literature for nearly two decades while the still unsuccessful search for another antiviral agent still goes on. And then it says, the following chapters will briefly summarize the clinical experiences as reported in the medical literature of the past 40 years. That means from 1932 to 1972 when the book was written or the paper, whatever, was written by Erwin Stone on ascorbic acid therapy of a wide variety of diseases. Provocative ideas and results will be pointed out and further lines of research with the new genetic concepts in mind and to start long-term investigations of these inadequately explored areas. It will be necessary to break down the 60-year-old vitamin C mental barriers, that was in 1972, he was talking, that have impeded research thus far and to apply some logic to the protocols of clinical research. The problem is... Vitamin C, ascorbic acid, etc., big time blows away all big pharma drugs, all pharmaceutical drugs, all over-the-counter drugs. So therefore, there's not many clinical. I mean, yeah, there is. There are clinical papers and stuff. You know, there's a myriad of them, but you know. Most of the time, they don't allow them to get into medical journals. They don't want doctors to read them, and that's where doctors go to read is the medical journals. Um, 
they want to keep that information from the doctors because they want their boys and girls, you know, to do what they say. They don't want them telling people about vitamin C, about ascorbic acid, about lipospheric vitamin C, about liposomal vitamin C. They don't want them to know they can use these things to save lives and their own lives and their loved ones' lives and to heal themselves and their animals and to save their lives because that's going to put them all out of business. That's going to keep them from earning that money. That's going to put Big Pharma out of business and all the corporations that make the -the over-the-counter drugs out of business. They're giving you poison. They're giving you sorcery. They're using sorcery on you when you're taking pharmaceutical and over-the-counter drugs. They're practicing sorcery and black magic, believe it or not. It's the truth. They're practicing pharmakia on you. This is Satan and those people that are not born again in Christ that don't, you know, they either don't know better or they do know better. And for you, they're giving you the poison and your loved ones for that money because the love of money is the root of all evil, as the Bible tells us. So... They will do things that are bad in order to earn that money, to make a living for themselves and their family or whatever, or for themselves. They don't care about you and your loved ones. They care about themselves. So they will give you the poison. They, it will kill you. It will sicken you. It will ruin your body, your immune system, and your organs versus telling you the life-saving things like vitamin C. Or they're just ignorant about vitamin C and they don't know, like most people. But they don't want the powers that be and Satan and the higher up people, you know, the people that run the world, the Illuminati or whatever you want to call them, the bankers. They don't want you to know about vitamin C. They know about it and they use it, no doubt about it. And they use all kinds of things that work and save lives. And they'll do things that are very bad and against what our Heavenly Father wants to save their lives, too. It's time to end my show. Frank's coming up next for two hours. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for listening. Just as the sun was rising, came without a warning, sound of the uprising, gunfire in the street. Women and children crying, crushing marching feet, men and young boys dying.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is about nine minutes after 8 p.m., September 7th, 2015. It's Monday. All right, well. Uh, let's see. 800-932-1980. You can uh, call in. People in the chat room talking about their good buys and unlucky buys that they've had at some stores. And, uh, you know, it happens. I've had uh, pretty good luck at Harbor Freight. Uh, Although I'm kind of careful what I buy there. But uh, pretty much I've been been, uh, done well at Harbor Freight. You know, that's not to say that, you know, everything's been perfect and some things is really junk. But, uh, you know, you can go anywhere and buy junk anymore. Even the stuff that says, made the USA is crap. You know, those days are gone. You're living in the past, folks. Thinking that if something says made in the USA, that somehow that's good. No, it isn't. You know, it's the same crap that gets made everywhere. Nobody cares about their job here any more than anywhere else. They're underpaid and overworked and nobody's happy at their job. They can't pay their bills. They're in debt. They're not happy campers, folks. And unhappy campers do crappy jobs. And that's what's going on here in America. It's going on everywhere. I mean, okay, so... I haven't heard of any American companies that got to put a net around their building to keep the employees from jumping off the roof at lunchtime, you know. But hey, how much longer till we get there? That's what they're doing in China. They have to put a net. Or, yeah, that's their solution. Let's put a net around this place so they can't jump off the roof and kill themselves at lunchtime because it's such a wonderful job. <sighs> anyway. But uh, one thing is the Pittsburgh brand tools, they're all made in China, uh, have actually the same, and I'm talking about, you know, wrenches, steel wrenches, uh, pliers, you know, things of this, hand tools. Uh, It has the same warranty that craftsman tools have, which, by the way, are made in China now, too. Oh, they say, well, not all of them. Oh, okay, not all of them. Well, that's nice. So, you know, you got to check, right? <laughs> uh, anyway. So you just got to be careful, you know. And uh, the warranty, by the way, is, like I said, the same as Craftsman. If you break it, you just bring it in the store and they give you a new one. You know, I've never, I've never actually broke... I've never broke a Craftsman uh, wrench, and I've never broke a Pittsburgh wrench. So I've never had, I have no experience in bringing back broken uh, tools. Although, you know, I have heard from other people that, you know, you bring in a real good tool, and uh, they try to replace it with something really bad. You know, not a good tool. But anyway... Ah, let's get on to some things and stuff. Just be buyer beware, folks. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, protections for the consumer and all that. But still, you know, you've got to be, you've got to beware. 
You do. You really do. Because the bottom line is it does fall to you. You know, you look, unless somebody has really defrauded you, you know, you look at a tool and go, boy, you know, this, uh, this looks like a crap piece of tool here that I, you know, I better not buy this. You know. Anyway. So what's the deal here? It looks like Joe Biden is going to run for president one more time. Great. Huh. And he's going to he's going to fight for the workers. Wait a minute. I thought Bernie Sanders was the socialist. You know, Workers Unite, I thought this is a, a the socialist thing. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, Biden hears Labor Day cheers. Run, Joe, run. You know, that that is a kind of a, a joke. I think anyway, run, Joe, run. That's like, uh, run, Forrest, run, you know. And, and, and really, that's pretty much Joe Biden. He does kind of remind you of Forrest Gump, doesn't he? Make no mistake about it, Joe Biden was definitely running. He's not yet launched a bid for president, but Biden sent a well-timed signal of exuberance and political vitality on Monday, leaving reporters and Secret Service agents in his wake as he jogged through adoring crowds on Labor Day in Pittsburgh. The old Joe was back, and the crowd was cheering, run, Joe, run. What, the old Joe was back? You mean the old Joe that lost twice already running for president? That old Joe? What? What is wrong with Pittsburgh? What is wrong with American people cheering this guy on, run, Joe, run? I, I mean, honestly, are, are they... What... I, I just don't understand this. Beaming and looking more joyful in public than at any time since the tragic death of his son, Bo, in May. The 72-year-old's energetic trek through the streets lined with well-wishers who seemed delighted to see him did nothing to quell speculation that he may jump into the Democratic presidential race. <laughs> okay, so he's going to get the sympathy vote because his kid died? This is great. This is why people elect, you know, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, Hillary will have to go kill Bill. Hey, they even had a movie about that, right? Kill Bill. Yeah. She'll have to do that because, uh, you know, she could get the sympathy vote. Then, oh, poor Bill is dead. I'm all alone now. All I'll have to keep me warm is... The presidency. Yeah. Anyway, so it looks like Biden is going to run one more time. All right. Well, anyway. Let's see here. Now, I I looked this up because... uh, Tell you the truth, I, uh, I had no idea. I have no idea how he died. 
Uh, let's see. Final years of his life, Biden suffered from ba- uh, brain cancer. Uh, he was admitted to the Christina Hospital in Newark, Delaware, complaining of a headache, numbness, parallel. Uh-huh. Mild stroke. Later that month, he was transferred to Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Okay, so he's been all over, and he had, so he died. All right, well, there you go. Brain cancer, it looks like. Uh, And, of course, he had radiation, chemotherapy, and guess what? Didn't work. Yep. He was entered into Walter Reed in Bethesda and died 10 days later. Well, that's what happens when you go into Bethesda, you know, Walter Reed. Uh, (laughs) Boy, you know, there was a time when that was the you know, it was considered an elite hospital. Not so much anymore since the mold and the rats took over. Yeah, it's not a... Anyway, more stuff here. The United States Air Force now is saying, eh, we want you to give up your land near Area 51. Yep. The U.S. Air Force is giving an ultimatum to owners of a remote Nevada property that, over time, has been surrounded by a vast bombing range, including the super-secret Area 51, which, you know, I am reading about this on the Internet, so how super-secret is it really? Uh, They're being told to take a $5.2 million last-best offer for their property by Thursday, or the government will seize it through condemnation. The owners include descendants of a couple who lost their hard scrabble mining enterprise after the U.S. Air Force moved in in the 1940s. Nuclear tests then began in 1951. Their mine mill mysteriously exploded in 1954, and they ran out of money to seek reparations from the government in 1959. Yeah, tough luck for you, huh? Family representatives say they'll reject the deal, at least for now. Air Force officials are calling it a matter of national security. All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, it's national security. These people have had this since when? The 40s? Before the 40s? Now it's national security. That's just crap. They just want these people gone because they want them gone. That's all. Well, let's see here. What else? You know, it's Labor Day and What, you know, really Labor Day is kind of a socialistic holiday. I mean, it's nice to have a day off and all that. But it really is. It's for the worker. It's for the worker. It's Labor Day. Well, you know, it's uh it be it's a good day for Joe Biden to uh, uh you know act like he's running for president. Now, I don't know. Joe Biden hasn't said much. I haven't heard him say much of anything for quite some time, which is probably good because every time he opens his mouth, he seems to uh well, I don't know, say stupid things. Or at least things that seem stupid. Maybe they're not really stupid things, but they seem stupid. 
Well, the conservatives in Congress, as if there are any, they're going to take a stand on Planned Parenthood. Are they? You know, I wonder if they're going to completely shut it down. I wonder if they're going to start saying, hey, uh, you know what, maybe, maybe we need to rethink this whole abortion thing. Because this has gone way too far. This is way out of hand. The make-or-break moment for House conservatives to defund Planned Parenthood is here. Well, folks, why, 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 why should the taxpayers, why should the federal government, why should they be funding at all Planned Parenthood? Why? Uh, Honestly, really, why? Outraged by undercover videos on fetal tissue uh, donation. Donation, yeah. They're not donating. It's, It's for sale. Conservatives are pushing to cut all federal funding for Planned Parenthood as part of legislation that would avert a government shutdown on October 1st. Representative Mick Mulvaney, he's from South Carolina, founding member of the House Freedom Caucus, spearheaded a letter to House GOP leaders shortly before lawmakers' August recess that started. He and 17 other Republicans would not vote for any spending bill that continues funding for Planned Parenthood. But with Congress set to return to Washington this week, it remains to be seen whether Mulvaney and his allies can gather enough support to force the hand of the leadership. Representative Diane Black, a a Republican from Tennessee, who has written legislation that would freeze Planned Parenthood funding for one year while Congress conducts an investigation into its fetal tissue program, says she doesn't support using the government funding bill as a leverage in the fight. Black said she has secured a commitment from House GOP leadership that her bill will get a floor vote in the coming weeks. Big deal. You know what? This is why women should not be in Congress. They want to make deals. They want to get along. Let's go along. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to shut down the government. I don't want to do that. Uh, let's just talk real big and mean and just keep funding Planned Parenthood because that's what's going to happen. Look, these guys need to stand up and say, "All right, look, we will shut down the government." Because honestly, folks, if the government is going to fund a murder mill like Planned Parenthood, it doesn't deserve to exist. Shut it down. Burn it down. Bury it under the ground. If they're going to fund a monstrosity like Planned Parenthood, they don't deserve to exist. Of course, you see, while she's talking out of one side of her mouth, she comes and says, I wholeheartedly... Agree with the spirit and intent of my friend, Congressman uh, McVaney's letter, Black said in a statement provided to the Hill. The sad truth, however, is that President Obama is likely to veto any measure that combats funding of his political allies at Planned Parenthood. So what? Hey, you know what? We'll fund the whole government. Everything will be fine. But Planned Parenthood doesn't get a dime. Now, you go ahead and veto that monkey boy, and you'll get blamed. No, we didn't shut down the government. You did, pal. You vetoed it. Everything was funded except the abortion mill. 
and you'll shut down the whole government to keep your murder and pals in business? Well, then it's on you, Pally. It's on you and your whole party. Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden can have some of what you create for them, too. These guys got to be, you know, they're, they are the biggest weasels that I've ever seen. They are so afraid of doing anything that, oh, my gosh, well, what if we get blamed? We'll get blamed. Oh, oh, my gosh, we could get blamed. So what? Of course you're going to get blamed. Obama's going to blame you, but blame him back. She goes on to say, I believe we must consider how to most effectively wage this battle while acknowledging our current political realities, positioning our movement for long-term success and avoiding a government shutdown, which would not defund Planned Parenthood and would only embolden our radically pro-abortion president. How would it not defund Planned Parenthood? If the whole government shut down, I got to figure they're not getting any money either. Mulvaney spokeswoman, Stephanie Frail, declined to specify the new total number of signatures on the letter, but said a final count would likely be released this week. Well, you know. Let's see. It says here it's still 19 pledges. Uh, 19 pledges fall short of the maximum number of Defections GOP leaders can afford without needing help from the Democrats to pass a spending bill. Assuming all 246 House Republicans are present to vote, GOP leaders can lose up to 28 of their members and still pass legislation on their own. Well, there you have it. So, it's just more talk. They're not going to defund Planned Parenthood. They're just going to talk about it, man. Anyway, let's see here. What do I have time to do before the break? Because uh, I have something here about the 2030 agenda, which is coming up at the UN. But that's pretty lengthy. Uh, so let's see. Oh, yes, this goes... This, wait a minute. This goes through the goals uh, again. Oh, I see, but it goes on further than that. It does add those, but we'll get that after the break. Here's something interesting. Makes you think. Virginia Beach, Virginia, after the Sandy Hook school shooting and the Boston bombing took to center stage in the press, well-researched investigative journalists, along with portions of the general public who did their due diligence began to realize that crisis actors or role players were being used by the mainline press to trick the sheeple. In fact, the main objectives of the psychological operations, both the Sandy Hook school shooting and the Boston bombing, were to instill fear upon the citizenry, offering the powers that be a chance to capture that fear and turn it into control, thus paving the way for more gun laws, restrictions, and over-policing of the American people. Now, and to no surprise, a company named Linux, L-I-N-X-X, Global Solutions Incorporated, is soliciting role players to satisfy a Department of Defense contract in Boston from September 10th 
to the 23rd, overlapping the tail end of Jade Helm 15, which officially is set to end September 15th. The solicitation was sent by Don Adams, retired U.S. Navy veteran and current project coordinator for Linux Global Solutions Incorporated. According to LinkedIn, uh, to various independent contracts through their agents, the, solic- the solicitation provided to me by my source reads as follows. Good afternoon. I am looking for some potential role players from 10 to 23 September. My name is Don Adams, and I work for a government contracting company called Linux Global Solutions Incorporated. I'm trying to recruit for a contract we have coming up in the Boston area from 10 uh, through 23 September 2015. I am asking if you could post this to see if any of your patrons might have be might have be interested in some fun, light part-time work as an independent contractor. Here's what I'm looking for. Linux Global Solutions, a government services provider based in Virginia Beach, Virginia, will be providing realistic scenario training to the U.S. Department of Defense in Boston, Massachusetts area. Lynx is looking to hire male and female independent contractors. These ICs will act as role players with scenario enhancements, which include civilians on the battlefield, opposing forces, specialized linguistics, weapons, wardrobes, special and static effects, intelligence slash evidence this is in boston okay boston civilians on the battlefield opposing forces what in boston really there will be two different sessions the sessions are september 1st uh september 10th to the 12th september 14th to the 16th session two is september 16th to the 18th and 21st and 23rd The meet location every day will be at Target Gateway Center, 1 Mystic View Road, Everett, Massachusetts. Your rate will be $20 an hour. We provide all necessary gear. Everyone will meet up at Target. We will transport everyone to the site. The minimum amount you will be paid is four hours, even if a daily session is less than four hours. Wow, there you go. Battle civilians on the battlefield in Boston. Now that should be interesting, eh? We're gonna take a break and we'll be back in a bit. Yeah.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
a man of a dream. You can't tell a sister, it's the finest thing you ever seen. We're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's about 845 out here on the Pacific Time Coast, September 7, 2015. It's Monday. It's Labor Day. And uh, if that's all true where you're at, we are, in fact, live, 800-932-1980. If you'd like to call in, you can also go to the uh, chat room, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link. You can head on in there. Or you can contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger. And my screen name there is AVRN Talk. Alrighty. Let's see here. Oh, yes. That's right. Well, we ended up at the solicitation for the uh, <laughs> roll players now i gave you the dates keep your eyes peeled in boston in the boston area folks in september you know because they've got something they're going to be doing i don't know how big it's going to be i don't know how real it's going to be i don't know how they're going to try to you know present it to the people but keep your eyes open on all those dates because they've got role actors doing something for dod And when they say, well, it's going to be in the Boston area, and part of what you're going to be role-playing is civilians on the battlefield. Wait a minute now. Hang on here. Wait. In Boston? Hmm. Yeah, that's not so good, is it? Anyway, uh, here's a little story. A 32-year-old sheriff's deputy in Los Angeles was shot and killed by her husband on Sunday night. Before the husband, a local firefighter, killed himself. Huh. Well, there you go. Gotta wonder what was going on there, huh? Yeah, don't care. Anyhow... Now, 
this isn't something that, uh, I don't know, it's probably not interesting to a lot of you out there, but I don't know, just bear with me here, it's about the Pope. I know, I know, if you're not Catholic, who cares, but, you know, uh, the Catholic Church, whatever you think about it, and I don't think very highly of it, but it, it does have a billion followers. Now, sure, most of those followers are in the what we would call the third world. You know, I'll bring this up again, though, because I just learned this the other day. It's one of those interesting little things that I never knew. And, you know, I, I've said it, and you've said it. We all say third world this, third world that, blah, 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 right? And we think that it means, you know, poor, uneducated areas of the world, which is, is what it's become. But do you know that, and I've told you before, but that phrase, that phrase comes from the Cold War, where the first world was the NATO nations. The second world was the Warsaw, Warsaw Pact nations. And everybody not aligned with one side or the other was called the third world. It was absolutely 100% political it was not socioeconomic when it began. Now, of course, well, we see what's happened. Do you believe that those third world countries that were non-aligned with one side or the other, do you think they started out poor and ignorant? Or were they made poor and ignorant because they were unaligned? They were ostracized. Resources were kept from them because, hey, you ain't on our side. Hmm, we ain't helping you. You ain't on our side. We ain't helping you. Right? Well, the Pope's at it. And and Pope the, the Pope has some real problems in his own area because he's got some conservative cardinals that are not happy with his uh, way of doing things. Pope Francis will announce reformed procedures for the annulment of marriages in the Catholic Church, the Vatican announced Monday. He is scheduled to release two decrees titled Midis Undex Dominimus. Uh, you know, anyway, so they're Latin for the gentle judge, the Lord Jesus. And the meek and merciful Jesus. You know, I'm all for the gentle judge, the Lord Jesus, the meek and the merciful Jesus. But you know what? That is only one side of his personality. If we read the whole Bible... We find out, yes, that's the first coming. That's when he was here. He was nice. He was doing us a favor. You know, and he was here to try to save us. Uh, but the second coming, uh, from what I read, he's got a different attitude. He's not coming back, uh, you know, all love and happiness. From what I read in the Bible... It says he's coming back and he's going to be pretty pissed off and he's going to be pretty violent about it. Uh, not a gentle judge. Okay? Not meek and not 
all that merciful. And that's certainly not a criticism, it's just an observation that this is what's in the Bible for the second coming of Jesus. So we just, what, we just throw that in a can? Oh, that doesn't exist. Let's just stick with the happy Jesus, the friendly Jesus, the lovable Jesus, the cuddly Jesus. We'll just stick with that, and we'll completely ignore the rest of it. Because, well, that's, uh, you know, that's messing up my happy day, uh, or whatever. Since the Catholic Church holds that marriage is lifelong, is a lifelong commitment, those wishing to end a marriage must receive a judgment from a church tribunal that the marriage was an invalid contract from the beginning. There are various reasons that might justify an annulment, such as one spouse not wanting children. The annulment process has been criticized by some for being slow and costly. Yeah, we want to get this done quick and cheap. It can take 12 to 18 months or longer and cost $200 to $1,000 in the United States. Impeding those who wish to enter into a new marriage. Oh, well, gee golly. How inconvenient for you. Pope Francis has previously expressed his desire to change the annulment process and make it free to all those who seek it. This is the point I want to emphasize. The sacraments are free, he said in January. Some procedures are so long and so burdensome they don't favor justice and people give up. Mother Church should do justice and say, yes, it's true, your marriage is null. No, your marriage is valid, but justice means saying so. That way, we can move on without this doubt, this darkness in their soul. The Pope appointed a commission to study annulment in August of 2014, and this was one of the topics of conversation of the Extraordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops in October 2014. A second synod on topics of family will begin in Rome in just under a month. Tuesday's decrees will come exactly one week after the Pope declared all priests could absolve women who, with contrite heart, seek forgiveness for the sin of abortion during the upcoming year of mercy. Gee. Uh, So, wait a minute. I thought... You know, all sins could be forgiven. Why does there have to be a special announcement that... I mean, is murdering a baby different than murdering somebody else? Because murderers can be forgiven. But, uh... You know... (laughs) Okay, well, anyway. All right, I don't want to do that one. Here we go. The 2030 Agenda... This month, the U.N. launches a blueprint for a new world order with the help of the Pope. Did you know, I'm sure you guys did know, that the U.N. is planning to launch a new universal agenda for humanity in September 2015. 
That phrase does not come from me. It is actually right in the very first paragraph of the official document that every UN member nation will formally approve at the conference later this month. The entire planet is going to be committed to work towards 17 sustainable development goals and 169 specific sustainable development targets. And yet there has been almost a total media blackout about it here in the United States. I wonder why. The UN document promises that this plan will, quote, transform our world for the better by two, uh, 2030. And yet, very few Americans have even heard of the 2030 agenda at this point. Instead, most of us seem to be totally obsessed with this latest celebrity gossip or the latest nasty insults that our puppet politicians have been throwing around at one another. It absolutely amazes me that more people cannot understand that Agenda 2030 is really, really a big deal. <laughs> the writer here asks, when will people start waking up? Boy, I wish I had an answer for that, man. I've been asking that for, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years now. As I discussed in a previous article, the 2030 Agenda is taking the principles and goals laid out in Agenda 21 to an entirely new level. And a lot of people out there really believe that Agenda 21 is some sort of conspiracy theory, crackpot, nutcase, you know, tinfoil hat wearing lunatics came up with it and they just, uh, you know, are making it up. But it's not. You know, it's a U.N. document. It's a U.N. agenda. It's a plan, okay? The 2030 agenda addresses virtually all areas of human activity. It's truly a blueprint for global governance. uh, governance. Agenda 21 focused mainly on the environment. Okay? After this, uh, and later this month, nearly every nation on the entire planet is going to be signing up for this new agenda. The general population of the planet is going to be, uh, is going to behold that this agenda is voluntary and that it's all about ending poverty and fighting climate change. But that's not the full story. Unfortunately, there is much, so much positive spin about this plan that most people will not be able to see through it. Just check out an excerpt from a piece that was published on the official UN website yesterday. The United Nations General Assembly today approved a resolution sending the draft 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development to member states for adoption later this month, bringing the international community to the cusp of decisions that can help realize the dream of a world of peace and dignity for all. Oh my gosh. Today is the start of a new era. We have traveled long way together to reach this turning point, declared Mr. Bon, Bang, Bain, Bon, whatever. Recounting the path the international community has taken over the 15 years since the adoption of the landmark Millennium Development Goals towards crafting a set of new post-2015 sustainability goals that will aim to ensure the long-term well-being of our planet and its people. I mean, really, folks. Is this out of some fairy tale book or what? These guys, you know, we got wars in like 100 countries, okay? The United States military is in 148 different countries. The United States is being invaded by illegal aliens. 
the economy is about to collapse. And they're talking about, you know, oh, the well-being for our planet is people. With the world leaders expected to adopt the text at a 25-27 September summit in New York, the UN chief said Agenda 2030 aims high, seeking to put people at the center of development, foster human well-being, prosperity, peace, and justice on a healthy planet and pursue respect for the human rights of all people and gender equality. Well, isn't that nice? I guess they leave out the part that GMOs are poisoning the land. Huh? Agent Orange is being spread all over. Yeah, they use less pesticides because it's grown in the plant, but they use four times the amount of herbicides. You know... This is just a bunch of happy, you know, HS is really what it is. Uh, But the sad thing is, these little 18-year-old dimwits coming out of public school are going to read this happy HS, and they're going to think, oh my gosh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, oh, one big happy, friendly, happy, rich, we're all doing good world. Uh, It's sad. And see, this is why your children are ignorant. So they can pass stuff like this by them. Uh, let's see. One problem is sustainable development. Well, sustainable sustainable development, I, I got to tell you, folks, it involves population reduction. And uh, you got to wonder, well, how are they going to do that? Is that going to be voluntary also? How many of you are going to line up and say, yeah, kill me and my whole family because uh, there's too many people on Earth? Hmm. Anyway, I'll be back in a little bit. We'll have Dean Lawrence. Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. 
No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- 225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Welcome back to those of you joining from the first hour, and welcome to those of you just joining us now. It is about, well, about 11 minutes after 9 p.m. It is September 7th, 2015. It's Monday. This is the second hour, 9, 9 o'clock hour. Second hour on Monday, you can call in 
800-932-1980. You can go to the chat room located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You can also contact me through Yahoo Instant Messenger. The screen name is AVRN Talk. All right, so there you go. There you have it. Oh, uh, just to go back a little bit uh, to the last uh, break, the the two bands were Jimmy Burns was the first one stopped the train and Wayne Barker Brooks. It don't work like that. Anyway, so I neglected to tell you that, so I told you now. Anyhow, it is Monday night. It is the second hour, and that means we've got Dean Lauren coming to us live from New York City and the future because it is, of course, September 8th in New York City. Welcome, Dean. Well, thank you, Frank. And uh, how is my audio level with my new microphone? Actually sounds much better than it did. Well, that's because tonight we are talking about burning the barn down one more time. Can't get enough ash. Broken ash. And so I have to ask that special weekly question. (laughs) So, Frank... Are you really contemplating suicide? No, but I'll tell you, I it you know, when I saw Joe Biden is probably going to run for president, you know, I mean, if that doesn't set me off, then nothing will. So, ha. then know. tonight we have to discuss. How about you, Dean? Feeling suicidal? Not even. Okay, good. You know, make sure because you, hey, you live in the big city over there. Anything. Yeah. And after tonight's show, you know, you may lose (laughs) your card club membership in the Club of Rome. All right. So we I think that, 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 you know, that got lost in the mail a long time ago. (laughs) No, you've got a lifetime membership, baby. Uh, (laughs) What are the uh, benefits? You you know, in the Club of Rome, they have the the little bunnies walking around like priests, you know. Um, So. Oh. Yeah, nice. yeah, little fuzzy bunny tails on their frocks. So, folks, tonight, in all seriousness, we are discussing the 2035 Great Persian War. And I, I bring that up in this context because if you have not been aware, the event that are corresponding right now give every indication that the quote-unquote Club of Rome, the, the inside Agenda 21 in the UN, have now decided that there will be a war in Persia in 2035 with or without the Persian treaty, which is on the Senate floor. And, you know, there is enough history in the vaults that we see this. And in fact, we, we actually saw this with, Um, President Harding in 1903. Actually, he wasn't president then. He was running for president. Wilson uh, had just had a heart attack. And they were having, discussing the League of Nations. 
and the the armament act and so actually Harding will when he becomes president will pass the de-armament act which is quote unquote the Persian Tweety the Tweety on the Senate floor as we speak now this 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 agenda 21 explains the military coup launched by NATO to disenfranchise the American admirals and generals from the war machine using a, quote, military gaming artificial intelligence. It's cheaper, folks. Now, wait a minute. When you talk about Agenda 21, are you talking about Agenda 21 or the new Agenda 2030 that they're coming up with this month? They're both the same. Well, actually, Agenda 21 uh, is uh, <laughs> minimal compared to what they've come up with with 2013, uh, 2030. I mean, they have expanded on Agenda 21. Agenda 21, now, it wasn't exclusively, but it was predominantly to do with the environment, global warming, you know, geoengineering, that sort of thing. But they have expanded it to everything now. This 2030 uh, is just, I mean, it's everything. It is basically the blueprint for if you were going to have a world government, You'd have to have, you know, a plan to deal with everything, right? Well, that's what this is. Well, actually, Frank, it's not a government. It's called governance. Yeah, okay. Because you're having an unelected government. And what you're seeing is the massive loss of property rights. That means your human body. So every woman should automatically perk up her ears and say, oh, no, this this is one more time. And then we come to find out that Germany and Sweden have been giving the kill orders in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, Frank, when was the last time you saw Sweden, which is run by Nazis and KGB hitmen? That's that's their secret police, you know. Uh, When was the last time you saw Sweden as a world power in that they were giving kill orders? Uh, never. No, uh, I would say like right after world. I mean, during World War II, and also, uh, I would say in the eighties, with the rise of the Bushes and 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 that quote unquote Russian agreement. Well, I still I you know you asked me I wasn't aware that Sweden was giving kill orders in the nineteen eighties. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And uh, so, folks, um, you know, again, let's go back to the historical signs. Zemenjing uh, in the Chinese parade, military parade, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Frank, this is interesting for you. Now, this parade took place just a few days before uh, and, and Putin was there. And this took place a few days before uh, King Salman of Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia uh arrived in the United States to speak with Obama, and that's King Salman bin Abdullah CLC. And uh, we want to, you know, note that that was a key military maneuver in which there was an announcement that basically Xi Jinping is going to overhaul the Chinese military. 
Now, I don't know if you got to see it, Frank, but the one part of the parade that I was not impressed with was the tanks running by the review stand. I have never seen so much diesel fumes. <laughs> they were they were literally rolling in a must have been Merkel had 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 a wet dream, you know. They didn't give them any of that good diesel fuel. So is that why it was smoking? Well, I'm not sure what it is. It's it's either high sulfur or low sulfur. I think it's high sulfur content when it smokes like that. I I think. Okay. So, and what's interesting, folks, you know, Russian TV had a three-hour version of this military parade. If you had any doubt, you'd look at this military exercise parade and say, wow, that's a lot of gasoline. And then you have to ask yourself, wow, good thing King Salman bin Abdulaziz came to the United States on Friday and bought a billion dollars worth of military hardware from Secretary of War Carter, not Jimmy Carter, the other Carter, the man who suits need to be tailored. And um, and then <laughs> currently the military announces they are closing all their military labs to anthrax because it's now been released everywhere by the military labs, unauthorized. Oops. So do you think we need an investigation by Leahy? Why he was poisoned by the U.S. Army and had to blame everybody else? Nah. Now, nah, okay. (laughs) So, you know, again, this 2035 Great Persian War, this is the takeover of the Red Sea, the bordering lands, the mining of the Levantian gas fields, which are off Greece, Syria, Beirut, and Israel, and uh, Palestine, and Egypt. All right? So, you know, this is very similar. Now, back to the yes. chi- back to the Chinese uh, military parade thing. Uh, the one thing they did mention, and I don't, you know, you can't, can't really tell by seeing it, but they mentioned that they have this new, uh, what, supersonic uh, missile? Okay. Yeah, it's like their whole, uh, you know, we're modernizing our our military, look at us. And I find it, I, I find the timing interesting that, you know, the Chinese put on the show, and, you know, just a few days before he's going to be coming to the UN. It's almost like saying, okay, look, you know, we're big, we're powerful, we got a military too, and, uh, you know, don't forget it when we show up in New York. No, he's basically saying, with King Salman bin Abdulaziz, when we show up in New York, we are going to start debating whether or not we should terminate the United Nations. Folks, this is sort of what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks with the American Civil War. When we formed the Union back in 1787 with the Constitution, after the Articles of Confederation, Mm -hmm. which gave birth to the Confederacy, all right, so let's, when you talk about the Confederacy, you have to talk about it within the Articles of Confederation. Well, you really do, and, and, you know, you really have to look at it from a different point of view that, look, the southern states, 
weren't actually trying to secede. They called it that, and they said that. But what they were doing is they were saying, look, we want to go back to what we originally agreed to, which was the Articles of Confederation. Which is what Conquer New York wants to secede to Pennsylvania. They want to leave New York because of the taxes, <laughs> the tariffs. All right, folks? It's the same thing. And so, um, you know, it, I started off this, this program insinuating that, indeed, Frank would lose his Club of Rome key. And I, I, I wasn't joking, folks. Now, you know, over the past five shows, I have been supporting Jennifer Garner in her divorce. And now Megan Fox. Uh, but with Jennifer Garner, she is in a really good position to take Warner Brothers to the cleaner with the schmuck starring in three Batman movies upcoming. Now, Warner Brothers was the studio which stole the iViewit patents which allowed the Patriot Act to go into surveillance, which allowed your military drones, which allowed your phones to be tapped with the audio scaling patents. That was by Elliot Bernstein. And so Warner Brothers wants to do a seven-picture deal with China, which only accepts one American picture each year. <laughs> so they want to, I mean, Ambassador Yang is, is sitting there going, like, you're coming to us with stolen patents that you use to blackmail our government to, un, to go into our banking files. And you want to do a deal with us <laughs> after you tried to shake us down with Project Goliath which was to take over all our streaming and, and, and Googleization of China. Right. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the American way, man. That's, you know, I, I've, I've said this at least it's probably... Agenda 21. At least once a week for, I don't know how, uh, since I was doing radio, is that, look, if you're out there and you're thinking, I don't care who you are, if you're thinking of making a deal with the United States government, just rest assured that they are going to find a way to screw you. They always do. They always have. They have never fulfilled a deal with anybody ever. And so with that, I am risking Frank's club key to the Club of Rome. Is this like a Costco membership or something? It certainly is. You where, with the... Where, where I get the... jocks and frocks. Where I get to pay extra money to go spend money at a store? Yeah, that's... Yeah. No, no, that's Trump University. Oh, that, okay. So I just want to say to everybody that tonight's song I am dedicating. Now, many of you will say, wow, Benjamin Netanyahu, you really lost it when you personally and publicly came out and demonstrated how you had everybody on the payroll at the Congress. So, Benjamin Netanyahu, I will dedicate part of this song to you. But for most of everyone out there, I'm going to dedicate this to Jennifer Garner, <laughs> Megan Fox, and now Miss Piggy, who is officially broken up with Kermit the Frog. Is that official now? That is official. 
She's they, now dating other frogs, trolls, and toads. And uh, he got, isn't his uh, new girlfriend uh, skinny? Oh, she's a skinny piggy. She's, but she needs to eat more ractopamine, hydrochloride. That's what they've been feeding pigs to put meat on. Ah. That's why all your kids are getting hugely fat. Ractopamine is what they give the cows and, or the beef and the pigs to fatten them up for the kill, which goes right into your children. So, folks, with this, uh, I for the children. I de- like Agenda 21 and Global 230. Yeah, right. We want to dedicate tonight's song, of course, in lieu of Frank's loss of his club key to the Club of Rome, to Jennifer Garner, Megan Fox, Miss Piggy, and to all the mothers out there for Global 2030. And all the ships at sea. Thank you. Hit it, Frank.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Food prices going up. Homes being foreclosed, unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes. Now in the street, they all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316 316- 619-4886 Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Don't wash no dirty clothes, ain't never nothing. 
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. September 7, 2015. It's Monday, about 9.38 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. And if that's all true where you're at, we are, in fact, live. and call in 800-932-1980 and go to the chat room at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link. Click it. It's easy to get in. You can also contact me through Yahoo Instant Messenger AVRN Talk is the screen name. My email is on the website, so you can find that if you'd like to send email. Anyhow, it is Monday night. It is the second hour, and we got Dean Lauren on. Welcome back, Dean. Yo, Frank, are you ready? That's right. Yeah, and, what, what, what was that uh, uh, boy rap band there? I mean, uh, I was surprised. Was... It started off one way and then kind of took a left turn. Right. Bieber, Justin Bieber, and uh, uh, Will Smith's kid. Boy. Jada, I think his name is. Yeah, I got to, uh, you know, the funniest thing I, I, I've i ever heard Ozzy Osbourne say is, what's a Bieber? <laughs> he wish he has Justin Bieber's fans, let me tell you. I don't think and, so. And, and, right, and come so, on now. This is so Tonight we've got to talk about Hillary and Gefilte Fish. The who? What? What was that second part? Gefilte fish. This is where her emails uh, indicated that she was, as Secretary of State, 
hot on getting 400,000 pounds of gefilte fish into Israel, and why What's that the- email, which was obviously confidential and there was a payoff attached to it, was not produced, including the emails with the end-user certificates for weapons being sold to Italy, which were then... Italy? To, yeah, that which were then sold to Yemen, which were then uh, sold to Libya. Okay, I'm getting it now. Ah, okay. Libya, and then we're back at Benghazi all over again. Oh, haven't you figured out where the emails are going? All right. All right. You're so somewhere, a... somehow, these emails are all going to come back around, and what, they're going to expose Hillary's involvement in a gun-running deal through Libya? Yes. That went bad? Through Yemen, hmm. through Yemen, through President Saleh, who ran the heroin ring in the 90s uh, and, the, and 2000, okay? So, and that's basically, it's the heroin money that's fueling the Houthis now with Russia and Israel. All right, so now, folks, now, you know we've been discussing the political debates, you know, and, and, and the real question is, will CNN... Uh, uh, run the Republican, the next Republican debate for free, or will they charge like the last debate? Okay. Well, now, you know, that's the thing, though. I found it for free. You know, I did. I found it for free on Fox Radio. But as far as if you wanted to watch it. Fox Radio in Oregon, not New York. Well, maybe not. Okay, you have to think of your regions, Frank. Well, there's hey. no regions without regions. <laughs> well, so, I can't so now, help it if you live in a bad place. At the last debate, we uh, we exposed Governor Chris Christie's admission that he actually put into warrants in the secret court, obtained warrants between the second. Uh, the secret court, military court, which is run by the Second Circuit judges, they were all there on the court panel. That's what they don't want to, anybody to know about. Kimball was the love judge, everybody. Uh, Preska, Denny Chin. Uh, so now we have Jeb Bush is in trouble because now they're bringing up the fatal phone call of Jeb Bush. Now, you do know that Trump is garnering now the popular vote, which means the Supreme Court is going to have a trouble rigging the Electoral College vote, which is why they had to get Trump to sign a pledge to back the Republicans and so that they could match him with a vice president like Reagan was forced to take Bush 41. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, of course, he will be assassinated. The only thing, oh. though, is, Dean, uh, this oath that he signed or pledge or whatever it is, is is actually not legally binding. Right. It's a Hegelian dialectic. You know, it's it's po- a it's crisis political. solution. You know, it's political. It's just, it's- oh, we'll make you look bad. You know, right, so a, what? It's a Hegelian dialectic. Sure. Okay. I don't think so you should really care about that. I think if oh, we, we try to screw him over... Have to say, ca- you know no, you don't understand. This has gone into history with the presidential races at least five times. Where uh, there was an assassination set up 
using the vice president in advance. So, folks, if you don't think when you look at your presidential candidate, we should know who his running mate or who her running mate is. And by the way, Ben Carson's numbers don't make sense. Okay, they're just putting a black face on the on the bench so they can say they're not racist. Okay, or or ethnic. Well, that's that's the kind that's kind of how I looked at it, and that uh, the woman that used to run Hewlett Packard before she got fired and ran it into the ground. Yeah, yeah, right. She ran it into the ground and 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 got fired by the uh, the board of directors. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay. So there she is. There he is. Hey, we got a woman. We got a black guy. You know, we're good. Okay, so let's talk about the fatal phone call. Now, this is you know Donald Trump's going to bring this up at the next debate. You know, when he talks about Jenna, Jenna Bush. And he mimics her and says, hey, Dad, why didn't you pick up the phone on 9-11? You know, and, and you do know that Jeb Bush was on site at that school. Where, where, where oh, yeah, it was down in Florida. Bush. That's right. So at 845, when the first tower went down, Jeb didn't talk to his brother who was in the room with the student. <laughs> At 9.03, when the second tower went down, Jeb didn't even try to reach him on his phone, even though he's in the next room. And at 9.35, when the Pentagon missile hit the west wall overlooking the National Cemetery... Bush 42 still didn't pick up Jeb's phone call as he was pounding on the door (laughs) to say, actually, you know what? Jeb wasn't pounding on the door. So that's the fatal phone call, folks. The Hegelian dialectic that faces Jeb Bush on the next debate. Your brother is standing right there next to you. The towers are being hit, and you want to be president? And you didn't even bother to tell your brother, hey, why don't you call the commander-in-chief, the acting commander-in-chief, or not the commander-in-chief, the commander-in-chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Jumper, the traitor, who ordered the stand down with Dick, with Dick Cheney. You understand, folks, what the fatal phone call is about with Jeb Bush? You're standing there next to your brother, who is the president, watching thousands of people murdered, and you don't interrupt your story to the kindergarten. Yeah, the story that he was reading out of an upside-down book. So, folks, we've got to ask ourselves, is this next election set up so that Trump will take it? Because if Trump doesn't, if Trump won, goes into the final race, you got the popular vote going. And then it comes down to the Electoral College shenanigans with the Supreme Court has been two steps removed, okay? It's almost like the secret judges approving 
warrants without any substantiation by Christie. Well, it's like the sham job report. You know, I'm really surprised, though, Dean, that there hasn't been more fallout on Christie over that statement. Are you kidding? That was, wait. Wait till Donald Trump. That's why Christie can't even say anything about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a loose, supersonic Chinese missile. (laughs) Yeah. Okay? Now... The feds have got to raise the interest rates, and they're going to base it on a sham job report. Now, this is like the Clinton administration, because, you know, this is the fatal, we've heard, the phone call. Now the fatal line for Hillary. And it's just not the Gefelta fish, folks. It was her involvement in the Unicall pipeline that Chevron would pick up. Folks, did you know that in December 4th, 1997, that the Taliban was invited on behalf of the Clintons and the Bushes to visit Sugarland, Texas, to discuss the Unicall pipeline, and that the Taliban was represented by Lolly Helms, who was the niece of Richard Helms, the director of the CIA. That's the U.S. director of the CIA. Well, Secretary of State Albright was sitting there picking her nose. Folks, we're talking about a pipeline that went from Turkmenistan to Afghanistan to Pakistan. And it would lead from Krasnovest. Am I saying that right? Krasnovest? of the Caspian Sea to Karachi on the Indian Ocean Coast and then into China. Hey, they even made a uh, James Bond movie about it. Now, China wanted to buy that pipeline, and the United States said no, and then turned around and sold it to Chevron, which is incorporated into Canada. Shades of NAFTA, shades of Agenda 21, shades of... Global 2030 is the prelude to the 2035 Great Persian War. That's the question for tonight. Because we really have to ask ourselves, you know, at what point does the charades end? Now, If that doesn't, see, the good thing about history is that it tells you what to look for in the present. So let's talk about this war on terror, this axis of evil, all right, that Bush and Cheney were so delighted to tell us. Yet, during Vietnam, both of them were draft dodgers. Okay? Let's talk about the war on terror. First of all, folks, you can't have a war on terror. Why? Because it's an abstract noun. Terrorism 
is abstract. A war is waged on a country, a province, a piece of land run by a particular government, an opposition. Terrorism is abstract, folks. You can't have a war on terrorism. It's doublespeak. Ever heard that term before, doublespeak? Read 1984, which was written in 1948, and which is a prelude into United Nations Global 2030, which is the prelude to the Great Persian War, where we take out three of the greatest populated countries under Memorandum 200, Iraq, Iran, and India. Saudi Arabia will fall. All of the Gulf states will fall. Middle East will be wiped off the map. Folks, that's a lot of people when you kill everybody in India. That's a lot of people when you kill everybody in Persia. And you probably wonder why I refer to it as Persia. History tells us it's Persia. This is the way the people that are setting up global 2030 at the United Nations, which we as a nation, the United States, cannot get out of unless we terminate the United Nations. Can we terminate the United Nations? That's the second question of tonight. Is it like the European Union? Once you enter, you can never leave like the Hotel California. Is it like the United States? Once you enter, the original deal is off the board. Well... Do you think how do you, how serious do you how serious do you think China is about disbanding the UN? And they are they, very serious. Is there anybody else who's willing to go along with them? Because you know the Saudi US Arabia, won't. okay, the Gulf states, and I do believe Russia is at the point now where they would like to terminate the UN, because guess what? It wasn't exactly what Papa Bush set up. No. And explained to them. No, no, this is not at all. It's it's just a tool they've used to control the rest of the world. And, you know, uh, I myself, I'm, hey, I'm with it, man. You know, crack that UN in half and dump it in the uh, East River, man. You know, And give, now, now what you can do is convert the building, which is landmarked, into the the APEC bank run by China and the rest of these, all these 23 nations. Well, Turn what? it into a bank and put the IMF office on there, the World Monetary Bank, the APEC, you know, put all the major banks in there. They might want a new building. From what I've read about that UN building, it's kind of a wreck. Of course it's a shoddy construction, just like the Pentagon West Wing that was hit by mold. the middle. It's Missile. full of mold, too, from what I read, because it's been leaking forever. Yeah, well, they're doing a rehab on it. Oh. And by the way, folks, the original property, if the U.N. is terminated, goes back to David Rockefeller. It goes back to the Rockefeller ownership. Well, it never left. You know what? I don't see the U.N. like 
disappearing. But what could happen, I mean, it could go back to a, a NATO-Warsaw Pact sort of thing. I mean, China and Russia and the Saudi Arabia and uh, the Gulf states could start their own little UN, and then the you know the United States and all its flunkies could have the other UN, and they have opposing, you know, organizations. Right. So I think it's important because you know I started off this this section of tonight's show with terrorism being abstract, which is Rome was always being attacked by evil-minded neighbors. Folks, we can't speak in abstracts any longer. We cannot speak in terms of governance. We cannot speak about the loss of property rights. Your human body without being succinct and to the point. The word is no. America was founded on individual property rights, the freedom to own your body, which allowed you to go to the church of your choice, which allowed you to speak your mind and allowed you to vote and allowed you to shoot at the Redcoats and the Hessian soldiers that were in your houses, lodging without your permission. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) It's real, folks. Well, if it is, I'm glad to see that, you know... It sure is slow moving, though, don't you think? I mean, it's really taken China and Russia quite some time to say, you know what, I guess they've had to... because. I suppose they've had to be pretty careful because the United States is a dangerous entity. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, okay, these other countries have gained power. The United States has lost power. But the United States is still a very dangerous entity. Of course, they are engaging in a preliminary psychological dimension of causing a Persian war in 2035 to take down the Middle East. Folks, that is the first question. Will the United States participate in this ongoing preparation for a war which was similar in 1904 to the preparation for World War II? Well, you know the answer. If Bush or Clinton get in there, yes, it will. And, you know, this is like the Washington debate on whether to make an unprovoked attack on Iran to destroy a nuclear power reactor built with Russian assistance. Okay, folks, we've got to ask, you know, hey, wasn't that what they spewed out in 2002? Yeah. Okay. And why is it that Israel opposes any nuclear capacity in the hands of any Islamic government when, in fact, half of Russia's territories are Muslim? Well, that's true. And, hey, you know what? Uh, so now you're opposing Russia, Israel, or is it only the diamonds wait, 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 and the heroin? Wait a minute. What, about, what, what about Pakistan? They're Muslim. They've got mm. nuclear. Or they, they've got nukes. Mm. 
So you see now, folks, it's really Israel's stance on a secular, gov- a secular government or a religious-based government. Israel's government is a religious-based government. It's based on the Torah. Okay, folks? There is no separation of church and state in Israel. It is all the church, the synagogue. Well, yeah, but... You see, when you say the Torah, you're talking the basically the, uh, you know, the uh, Orthodox Hasidic Jews, and they are not in charge. The ones in oh, charge. Oh yes, they are. Oh yes, they are. You have misspoken, sir. No, and I, I have was not. going to say because the, the ones it, running Israel are the Talmudic Jews, and they follow the Talmud, not the Torah. I beg to differ on this. You just have to look at their shopping laws, and with that, folks. You have to ask, who is out there that can derail the United Nations but the Eastern Orthodox Metropolitans? Well, one and thing, that's how we end the show. One thing i got to ask is, where did the time go? Because we are completely out of time, overtime, actually. We will see you again next week, Dean. Folks. Lights out, make your way to the floor. Just dance, got me begging for more. Get down in the county of kings hear that music makes you wanna sing wanna sing feels like something's in the air let the rhythm take you there you can Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence and Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, father of Virginia University, ambassador, secretary of state, vice president, president, and acquirer of the Louisiana Purchase. The introduction. This is the summary of Jefferson's life. Thomas Jefferson is best known today as the author of the Declaration of Independence, third president of the United States, the prime mover in the Louisiana Purchase and the Lewis and Clark Expedition. On his own epitaph, he listed three accomplishments. Two are not what he is known best for. The author of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedom and father of University of Virginia. The third accomplishment was author of the Declaration of Independence. When reflecting upon how Jefferson measured his own life, one sees he would be with the cultural historians who value ideas as having more impact than the details of politics or wars. The latter may be more sensational but the former more lasting. 
It is the reach of Jefferson's ideas that is so important to America today, far more so than his career accomplishments. It is a breathtaking exercise to discuss and cover the life of Mr. Jefferson. His father died when he was 14. This transformed his life early as he was sent off to school after inheriting 5,000 acres of rich Virginia land. He graduated from the distinguished William and Mary College, a rare event before 1900, not to speak of before 1800. He distinguished himself with highest honors, visited the royal governor who, like Virginians of the day, was a British subject and was a wine connoisseur. He married once to Martha Wales Skelton Jefferson, had six children, and after a death in 1782, never married again. There has been much modern goings-on about his relationship with an African-American woman, Sally Hemings, but that was long after Mr. Jefferson was a widower, and they were clearly very close since they lived together from 1789 until his death in 1826, in addition to them having several children together. After his wife's death, he began his incredible career which would do 10 people proud to have accomplished so much. A colonial legislator in the Virginia House of Burgesses, member of the Second Continental Congress, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, governor of Virginia, minister to France, secretary of state, retired from 1793 to assuming the vice presidency in 1797, founder of the Democratic Republican Party, president, founder of University of Virginia, and correspondent in the legendary Adams Jefferson letters. He died with great symbolism on the same day as the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1826, the same day that President John Adams died. Jefferson was also a great scientist, inventor, and thinker. He was a man of the Enlightenment who knew most of the intellectual leaders in Western Europe. He believed independent farmers, the entrepreneurs of their day, were the guardians of democracy. He favored states' rights and feared the encroachment and bossiness of the federal government. He strongly supported the separation of church and state, calling himself a deist. He was an archaeologist who unearthed American Indian remains by digging gently down and then observing the layers and what they meant, among other things. He was a great architect, as reflected by his influence on his home, Monticello, and the layout of the University of Virginia. He was a horticulturist, a paleontologist, and an inventor of various useful things, such as Benjamin Franklin did. Perhaps the most famous modern summing up of Jefferson's life was by President John F. Kennedy saying at his famous 1962 party for 49 Nobel Prize winners, quote, I think this is the most extraordinary collection of talent and of human knowledge that has ever been gathered at the White House, with the possible exception of what when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. I think, though, that Mr. Jefferson would have been prouder of an event even more recent when the first Muslim elected the House of Representatives, Keith Ellison, in 2007 requested the Library of Congress to let him use Mr. Jefferson's two-volume 1764 edition of the Quran to be sworn in by. Jefferson is truly a man for all seasons, centuries, and cultures. Education and Early Life Thomas Jefferson was born in 1743 into a wealthy Virginia plantation-owning family. His father owned several plantations, and his mother was part of the wealthy Randolph family. Jefferson started his studies at a young age for the time, by 10, he was learning Greek, Latin, and French, languages that would serve him well all of his life. As the third of eight children, he inherited 5,000 acres upon his father's death when Jefferson was still only 14. He remained at this place until he died in 1826, much indebted because he never worked diligently for his own financial purposes, but for others instead. 
At this point, he boarded at the then version of a prep school with schoolmaster James Parrish, where he broadened his education to include science, literature, and history, as well as the classics themselves. In 1760, he entered the College of William and Mary at the age of 16. He graduated only two years later with the highest honors. He studied philosophy, higher mathematics, metaphysics under Professor William Small, who introduced him to the British empiricists Bacon, Locke, and Newton, who would influence him for the rest of his life. Interestingly, he called them the three greatest men the world had ever produced. As with his own epitaph, Jefferson always admired the great thinkers, writers, and experimenters more than the politicians, empire builders, or military people. It was his building upon his experiences at William & Mary that he created the first truly non-religious university in America, known now as UVA. That was one of his listed accomplishments, and his epitaph, along with authorship of a related statute, the Virginia State Statute of Religious Freedom, and the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson showed an avid interest in all fields, was a very hardworking student, perfected his French, Greek, and Latin, while reading Tacitus and Homer at his leisure. At 23, he married a widow, Martha Skelton, in 1772, and had five children that lived, one was still born, during his 10-year marriage. Martha died in 1782, and Jefferson never remarried. Political career, 1774 to 1800. Shortly after Martha died, Jefferson took up a political career built upon his legal one. In 1774, he authored his first significant document, a summary view of the rights of British America. He intended this as a manual or guidebook for Virginia delegates to the then-planned National U.S. Congress. The pamphlet provided a powerful argument for Virginians and all Americans to seek unsettlement with Britain for everyone's mutual benefit. His next major undertaking was to attend the Second Continental Congress as a representative from Virginia in 1776. It was here in Philadelphia that he, as a member of the Committee of Five, wrote the Declaration of Independence. It went through several drafts and other back and forth as described more fully in our audio book, The Declaration of Independence. After the Declaration was adopted in July and promulgated throughout the colonies in August, Jefferson returned to the new Virginia House of Delegates as a member. He immediately began to reform and update Virginia's laws based on the state's new status as a democratic entity. He drafted over 100 laws, which, among other things, streamlined the judicial process, eliminated primogenitor, the rule that the firstborn male inherit all property, and established freedom of religion. This included the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, read later on this audiobook. His bill for the more general diffusion of knowledge led to numerous reforms at William & Mary, his alma mater, including broadening study so students could have an elective system of study, which was the first such undertaking by an American university and has become the foundation of university studies ever since. Jefferson was then elected governor, in which role he served from 1779 until 1781. As governor, he managed the transfer of the capital from Williamsburg to the more central location of Richmond, where it remains today. The British invaded Virginia twice during Jefferson's term. Jefferson then served as minister to France from 1785 to 1789, and therefore did not attend the constitutional convention held in 1789. He supported the Constitution and pushed for it to include the first ten amendments, known commonly as the Bill of Rights. George Washington appointed Jefferson as first Secretary of State from 1789 to 1793. During this period, Jefferson split with the Federalists who favored a stronger central government and started what led to be the Democratic-Republican Party, on whose platform he won the presidency in 1800. Alexander Hamilton, the father of American finance, favored a federal bank, later to be accomplished in the early 1800s, and then renewed again as the Federal Reserve under FDR. 
Jefferson favors states' rights, except in certain circumstances, such as in defense, and when the federal government could do a superior job. When war broke out between the French and the English, he strongly supported the French. At the same time, he agreed with George Washington that the nation should not get involved in the fighting or any foreign wars. Washington was to repeat this briefly in his farewell address, as Eisenhower did in a similar manner at the end of his political career almost two centuries later in 1961. Jefferson's interest in French success related primarily to the negative impact of a British success. He felt that would encourage the monocrats or monarchy supporters in the United States. There were still many in the U.S. who wanted George Washington to be our first king, so this was no small matter. Jefferson retired to Monticello in 1793 due to his increasing opposition to Hamilton and many ideas of George Washington himself. A reconciliation of sorts occurred in 1794 when the Jay Treaty was adopted, largely created by Alexander Hamilton, which brought peace and trade with our former enemy, but also the homeland of many, Great Britain. Madison still wanted to bring commercial pressure upon Britain, and this was supported by Jefferson, though the Jay Treaty calmed matters for some time. Jefferson was a Republican candidate, later to become the Democratic-Republican Party in 1796, and finished second to the Federalist John Adams of Massachusetts. In those days, the candidate finishing second became vice president, so Jefferson had that role. Although a major job today is for the vice president to preside over the Senate, Jefferson avoided it. He was asked to write a manual of parliamentary procedure and did so. With the retirement of the unanimously elected George Washington, party politics started up quite strongly during the Adams administration. Adams started a Navy, built up a peacetime army, readied for possible war, enacted the controversial Alien and Sedition Act, and levied new taxes to pay off the federal debt as well as fund federal activities. Jefferson opposed the expansion of federal power. Jefferson and Madison anonymously wrote the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, which stated the federal government only had powers specifically delegated to it by the states. Otherwise, states ruled. These resolutions, coupled with the prominence of Jefferson and Madison, especially as the respective authors of the Declaration of the Constitution, lent great intellectual and moral support to the advocates for state rights up until the present time. This would have a particularly strong impact regarding the concepts of interposition and nullification, which served as justification for the withdrawal of the Confederacy from the Union in 1861. Presidential Campaign of 1800. All of this controversy, plus Jefferson's position as vice president, made him the natural candidate in 1800 to run against the symbol of federalism, President John Adams. As with many candidates running against incumbents in American politics, Jefferson stood for the presidency based on attacking new taxes undertaken under the incumbent administration, in this case, John Adams. He did not formally campaign for office, as was the tradition at the time. He and Aaron Burr of New York rallied their new party, the Democratic Republicans, with the issues of excess taxes and federal encroachment upon states' rights. These same arguments were made forcefully throughout American history, but perhaps never so successfully and with as far-reaching consequences as similarly happened in the 1980 election between then-President Carter and challenger Ronald Reagan. As Reagan's impact would be felt for decades, so would Jefferson's. Jefferson tied Burr in the Electoral College. This threw the election into the House of Representatives, largely controlled by the Federalists. Hamilton persuaded the House that Jefferson would be the lesser of two evils, so he was elected on the 36th ballot. Burr was elected vice president. The 12th Amendment to the Constitution was adopted to avoid this, so both offices, president and vice president, would be on the same ticket. 
The bad feeling from all this, including Burr's not stepping down when the vote was going against him and requiring a formal vote, coupled with his famous duel that killed Hamilton, led to Jefferson dropping Burr from Jefferson's second-term candidacy and instead appointing Burr's fellow New Yorker, George Clinton. Presidency, 1801 to 1809. Jefferson became president after the crisis in France had ended. This was helpful since he had always been a friend of France from his days as minister to France until the present. This, in part, paved the way for Napoleon to sell the lands in what is now the far Midwest and West of the United States and what has become known as the Louisiana Purchase in 1803 for $15 million, a large sum for the times. With no hostilities active with England, France, or Spain, Jefferson slashed the Army and Navy expenditures put into place by his predecessor, John Adams. He also reduced the whiskey tax, so unpopular in the Middle South and Midwest, as it is known today, the West in those days. At the same time, he reduced the national debt by one-third, laying the foundation for paying it off entirely before the Civil War. Jefferson took a strong role in putting down the Barbary pirates who were taking American ships in the Mediterranean. This is quite a stretch for a man who didn't want to get entangled in foreign wars. But as Jefferson said, being president calls for changes in position when required. Jefferson, on the other hand, in his second term, worked hard to keep America out of the Napoleonic Wars, his use of embargo upon American shipping was unpopular, but any solution would have likely been seen in the same or worse way. To have a sense of how small the federal government was in those days, there were only six cabinet offices. Secretary of State James Madison for both terms, Secretary of Treasury Albert Gallatin for seven of the eight years, Secretary of War Henry Dearborn for both terms, four attorney generals, two postmaster generals, and two secretaries of the Navy. Ohio was the only new state admitted into the Union during his tenure in 1803. He appointed three of the justices of the Supreme Court, William Johnson in 1804, Henry Livingston in 1807, and Thomas Todd in 1807. Louisiana Purchase, signed on May 12, 1803. The Louisiana Purchase was noteworthy for many reasons, not the least of which is Thomas Jefferson went against his original state's rights inclinations, changed his position to benefit the new nation, by almost doubling the size of the United States, eliminating a dangerous enemy, the French, from its western borders, and unlocking the Mississippi River by buying the port of New Orleans in the transaction. The purchase left the United States with approximately 80% of the territory it occupies today in the continental United States. Only Spain's claims from Texas to California and west of the Rockies until the Pacific Northwest area remained along with the unclaimed area in what is currently the state of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. There were also two minor disputed territories with Britain in the Alberta area and northern Maine with New Brunswick, soon to be adjudicated quite amicably with Britain and Canada. The final dispute was with Spain with regard to Florida and the Panhandle area on the Gulf of Mexico to New Orleans. This was resolved under President James Monroe in 1819 in what has come to be known as the Treaty with Spain. The Louisiana Purchase was an example of American entrepreneurial negotiation, as Jefferson started out trying to buy just New Orleans for $10 million to unlock Mississippi shipping, and wound up being offered the rest of the Louisiana Purchase for just $5 million more. He took it. Dealt with the various American factions concerned with this Western addition that it would limit their powers, much as interest groups are today. These factions range from the Federalists in the North to slaveholding states in the South to those state rights advocates that were concerned the federal government was getting much more power at the expense of the individual states. Lewis and Clark Expedition, 
A few weeks after the completion of the Louisiana Purchase on the document reaching Washington on July 14, 1803, Jefferson requested Congress to appropriate $2,500 to fund what would become known as the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Jefferson had long considered such a plan since the territories abutted American ones. While minister to France, he had heard about numerous plans to explore part or all of the territories and beyond to the Pacific Ocean itself. Jefferson took the opportunity in his presentation to Congress to bring forth all the positive aspects that such an expedition could render the United States and to inspire curiosity about the project so Americans would come to appreciate the substantial national investment in these lands. Jefferson said, quote, the Missouri River and the Indians inhabiting it are not as well known as desirable by their connection to the Mississippi River and consequently with us. An intelligent officer with 10 to 12 men might explore the whole area to the Pacific Ocean. This, of course, is what Lewis and Clark ultimately did. Jefferson had lined up Lewis first in early 1803 as events were unfolding in the negotiations surrounding the Louisiana Purchase. He wrote Lewis, quote, The object of your mission is to explore the, Missis- the Missouri River, which goes almost due west from the Mississippi, and such principal streams of it by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean, whether the Columbia, Oregon, or Colorado, or any other river which may offer the most direct and practical water communication across this continent for the purposes of commerce, unquote. This letter shows the relative ignorance everyone had of the area. The enormous height of the Rocky Mountains, which would impede such a journey, were clearly not known at this time, along with so much else that Lewis and Clark would ultimately report. Lewis left Pittsburgh on August 31, 1803. The expedition spent their first winter at Camp Du Bois in the then Illinois Territory. They left on May 14, 1804, to begin their western journey. They spent that winter at their newly built Fort Mandan in what is now North Dakota. This is where Sacagawea, their future translator and savior, joined the party. That spring, the first contingent was sent home with a report of what the expedition had discovered, which included 108 botanical and 68 mineral specimens one prairie dog that made it alive to Jefferson himself, and Clark's best map rendering of the territory. The expedition continued up the Missouri to its headwaters and beyond over the Continental Divide using horses. In canoes, they descended the mountains on the Clearwater River, the Snake, and the Columbia River, past what is now Portland, Oregon. They spotted Mount Hood so they knew they were close to the Pacific, which they soon saw. They now built Fort Clotsop on the Columbia River. They began their long journey back on March 23, 1806. Clark and Lewis split up for a while to learn more and had a series of adventures worthy of any modern thriller with the Blackfeet and Crows. They reunited in August and made it back to St. Louis on September 23, 1806. Throughout this journey, they stayed north to stay away from the Spanish, who had only ceded the territory to France on the grounds they would not sell it to the United States or any other parties. They wanted, above all, to keep this as a buffer zone between the United States and northern Mexican wealth in their minds. Despite sending out various Spanish parties to stop Lewis and Clark, they never did reach or stop them. Founder of Virginia University. In 1819, Jefferson's efforts resulted in the formation of the University of Virginia, founded on the principles of a total separation of church and state, represented by a library, not a church, being the centerpiece of the main campus, known as the Lawn, and students could specialize in many new areas of studies not offered at other universities in America at the time. The construction project was one of the largest of its era. The physical units were configured around the centered part of the campus and divided into buildings centering around individual subject interests. 
Each building, and therefore subject, was of the same size and tied together by open-air arcades that are the fronts of the buildings. This is called his academical village, with each building area a foot or two higher than the previous one, leading up to the library at the end of the lawn. The architectural style was modeled in Pericles Athens, the prior democracy to America, with some Roman influences. The library was modeled on the Roman pantheon. The campus remains one of the most significant works of architecture in America. Jefferson the Man, Appearance, Temperament, and Family. Without photographs at the time, we must rely on portraits and written descriptions of the man himself. He was a large man for his time, over six feet, two inches tall. He was angular with the ruddy complexion of a farming person. He had a serious demeanor that struck most that met him even as a young boy. He was just noted for an engaging conversational style, much like the later Lyndon Johnson, while sharing Johnson's woodenness when speaking. He had intense convictions and emotional temperament, and yet the ability to reverse course when appropriate. His wife died in 1782, leaving him with five children from their 10-year marriage. He never remarried. In the White House, James Madison, then Secretary of State, to succeed him as the fourth president of the United States, allowed his wife, the famous Dolly Madison, to serve as hostess, which she continued for the next eight years of her own husband's presidency as well. She was fully capable of formal state dinners, but allowed Jefferson to have his more casual entertaining as well. A recent controversy has erupted about his relations with an African-American slave woman, Sally Hemings. In fact, Jefferson and Hemings only got together seven years after his wife's death and remained close for 37 years until Jefferson's death in 1826. She was the daughter of his first wife's father in the complex inner workings of whites and blacks in the South. Under racial pressures that still exist over 200 years later, they remained close all their lives and had children they were jointly proud of. Future generations on Jefferson's first wife's side dissociated themselves from Sally Hemings, but DNA has served to bring them together again in the 21st century. A great believer in privacy, Jefferson burned all his family letters, including those of his beloved wife. He was a private man who gave only two speeches during his eight-year presidency. He discontinued the practice started by Washington and Adams of giving the State of the Union address in person to Congress. Instead, he relied on his more reliable pen and sent the speech over to Congress in writing. This practice continued until President Woodrow Wilson, formerly president of Princeton and a noted public speaker, started up again the tradition of personally delivering the State of the Union address in 1914. Jefferson was quite the inventor, much like Franklin. He loved to do architecture and is credited with such buildings as his own Monticello, the lawn and buildings surrounding it at the University of Virginia, and the Virginia State Capitol Building. His preference for federal style and architecture has had a profound influence upon American architecture in general, and government and college architecture in particular. He developed his own line fish pond, was a great connoisseur of wine from his days in college, and the then royal governor's house where he got to indulge in his hobby. He was a noted gourmet and generally liked to talk in small groups and have a good time. When the British burned down Washington, D.C. in 1814, he sold his library to the government to be the new beginning of the Library of Congress. In his honor today, they call the website Thomas. His collection extended to a two-volume addition to the Koran, which was used by the first Muslim congressman for a swearing-in ceremony in 2007. Political philosophy. You've heard Jefferson's political philosophy throughout this audiobook. He expressed some of his greatest thoughts and his concerns, concern that religion would should be separated from the state as articulated in his Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, read later, that states should retain most rights, and certainly all those not specifically granted the federal government, that the Supreme Court may have held too much power, that restricting the carrying of arms would limit them to the criminal classes, 
that corporations might arise to become too large and powerful, that British aristocracy and titles had no place in America, and that the Bill of Rights remained sacred. In other words, he was a man of deliberation and caution, raising concerns as with a yellow flag in a NASCAR race. Slow down, be cautious, stay in place. His thoughts were like the doctor's oath, first do no harm, a wise caution for other anxious politicians. John Locke and the empiricists were his guiding light. He also famously believed that each generation had to make its own constitution and the one generation should not pass its debts off to the next. The reality of the presidency and the rising power and strength of America caused him to adjust some of his principles for the greater good. He engaged in foreign wars by snuffing out the Barbary pilots off the shores of what is now Libya. He made the entrepreneurial Louisiana Purchase despite not being authorized by the Constitution and much griping therefore. He supported small entrepreneurial activities, though he feared large industrial ones, much as many Americans and presidents have done since then. He was against the National Bank, the dream of Alexander Hamilton, and one wonders if he wouldn't have changed his mind on that as well as the decades rolled out towards the middle of the 19th century. The Adams-Jefferson Letters. The Adams-Jefferson Letters included Abigail Adams, who always encouraged her husband to keep this remarkable correspondence going. Adams and Jefferson went against tight. The congenial Adams came from the hard scrabble lands of New England, where farming was always tough, and he was a farmer first and foremost. Jefferson was the restrained one, from the usually more open Virginia personality type, a farmer as well in the rich Virginia farmlands. Jefferson was tall and angular, though always thought to be graceful and adroit physically. Adams was chubby, rotund, and barreled around. The correspondence, above all, shows the warmth of Adams and the restraint of his friend Jefferson. Adams wrote copiously, and Jefferson rarely. That being said, Jefferson was undoubtedly warmer to Adams than anyone outside of his family. When Adams was elected the first vice president, Serving under the legendary and only unanimously elected president, George Washington, Jefferson wrote, No man on earth pays more cordial homage to your worth, nor wishes more fervently your happiness. Though I detest the appearance, even the flattery, I cannot always suppress the effusions of my heart. These two would write back and forth until their death in 1826 on the same day, July 4th. It is said that upon learning he would die shortly, Adams said, at least Jefferson lives. True or not, it makes a perfect ending to their careers as founding brothers of America. Jefferson's death and epitaph. Jefferson died fittingly on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration, the same day as John Adams. He had served his country well, but not himself financially. He died a poor man, leaving his Monticello to the United States to be used as a school for orphans of Navy officers. He wrote his epitaph, insisting not a word be changed. Quote, here was buried Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of American Independence, of the Statute of Virginia Religious Freedom and Father of the University of Virginia, unquote. He wanted to be remembered as the author and enlightenment figure he was, no mention of his political offices. Listening to what a person says about himself and his summing up is often the most significant approach to understanding that individual. That would seem to be the case here with Mr. Jefferson. Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. Well aware that the opinions and belief of men depend not on their own will, but follow involuntarily the evidence proposed to their minds, that Almighty God hath created the mind free and manifested the supreme will that free it shall remain, by making it altogether insusceptible of restraint. But all attempts to influence by temporal punishments or burdens, or by civil incapacitations, tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness, and are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord both of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercions on either, as was in his almighty power to do so. 
but to expand it by its influence on reason alone. That the impious presumption of legislatures and rulers, civil as well as ecclesiastical, who bring, being themselves but fallible and uninspired men, have assumed dominion over the faith of others, setting up their own opinions and modes of thinking as the only true and infallible, and as such endeavoring to oppose upon them and upon others, hath established and maintained false religions over the greatest part of the world and through all time. That is, to compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. That even the forcing him to support this or that teacher of his own religious persuasion is depriving him of the comfortable liberty of giving his contributions to the particular pastor whose morals he would make his pattern and whose powers he feels most persuasive to righteousness, and is withdrawing from the ministry those temporary rewards which proceeding from an approbation of their personal conduct are an additional incitement to earnest and unremitting labors for the instruction of mankind, that our civil rights have no dependence on our religious opinions any more than our opinions in physics or geometry, that therefore the prescribing any citizen is unworthy of the public confidence by laying upon him an incapacity of being called to offices of trust and emolument unless he profess or renounce this or that religious opinion, is depriving him injuriously of those privileges and advantages to which, in common with his fellow citizens, he has a natural right. That is tending also to corrupt the principles of that very religion it is meant to encourage, by bribing with a monopoly of worldly honors and emoluments those who will externally profess and conform to it. That, though, indeed, there are criminals who do not withstand such temptation, yet neither are those innocent who lay the bait in their way, that the opinions of men are not the subject and object of civil government, nor under its jurisdiction, that to suffer the civil magistrate to intrude his powers into the field of opinion and to restrain the profession or propagation of principles and supposition of their ill tendency is a dangerous fallacy, which at once destroys all religious liberty because he being, of course, judge of that tendency, will make his opinions the rule of judgment and approve or condemn the sentiments of others only as they shall square with or differ from his own. But it is the time enough for the rightful purposes of civil government for its officers to interfere when principles break out into overt acts against peace and good order. And finally, the truth is great and will prevail if left to herself, that she is the proper and sufficient antagonist to error and has nothing to fear from the conflict unless by human interposition disarmed of her natural weapons, free argument and debate. Errors ceasing to be dangerous when it is permitted freely to contradict them. Section 2. We, the General Assembly of Virginia, do enact that no man shall be compelled to frequent or support any religious worship, place, or ministry whatsoever, nor shall be forced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods, nor shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief, but that all men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and at the same shall in no wise diminish, enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. Section 3, and the final. And though we will know that this assembly, elected by the people for the ordinary purposes of legislation only, have no power to restrain the acts of succeeding assemblies, constituted with powers equal to our own, and that therefore to declare this act irrevocable would be of no effect in law. Yet we are free to declare and do declare that the rights hereby asserted are of the natural rights of mankind, and that if any act shall be hereafter passed to repeal the present or to narrow its operation, such act will be an infringement of natural right. 
Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, 1779 to 1786. This was a remarkable change in American and world history. This is one of the first statements clearly defining the importance of distinctions and separation between church and state. The fact it was accepted at all by the Virginia legislature at this time, or any time for that matter, is remarkable and underscores Jefferson's persuasiveness to get it adopted seven years after drafting in 1786. The Declaration of Independence in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should create and declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them should cause, most likely, to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate the governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under the absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter the former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refuted his, his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he is utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people who would relinquish the right of representation of the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such disillusions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislature powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions from within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of these new appropriations of lands. 
He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices, sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislators. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving us assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond the seas to be tra- tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and a fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our legislatures and declaring themselves invested with the power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruel and perfidy, scarcely paralyzed in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country to become executioners of their friends and brethren or fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislator to extend unwarranted jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We've appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow and disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of blood. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assemble appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United Colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from any allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as a free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, 
contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may have right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Fifty-six signatures on the declaration appear after this. Declaration background. The declaration is best described in our Declaration of Independence audiobook. The declaration reaches back to Pericles Athens over 2,000 years before, the last democracy before America. Lincoln referenced the declaration in the Gettysburg Address in 1863, four score and seven years ago. The country was divided early by slavery. The division exploded in 1861 in the Civil War, a war between the states. Martin Luther King in 1963, 100 years after the Gettysburg Address, chose to stand in Washington, D.C., in the shadow of the Lincoln Monument and declare, quote, five score years ago in his I Have a Dream speech. They were all unhappily tied together by slavery and its consequences. Only Jefferson of the three escaped assassination. The first inaugural address, Wednesday, March 4th, 1801. Chief Justice John Marshall administered the first executive oath of office ever taken in Washington, D.C., in the partially built Capitol building. John Adams, the prior president, who had run unsuccessfully for a second term, left Washington on the day of the inauguration without attending the ceremony. And Jefferson said, Called upon to undertake the duties of the first executive office of our country, I avail myself of the presence of that portion of my fellow citizens which is here assembled to express my grateful thanks for the favor with which they have pleased to look toward me to declare a sincere consciousness that the task is above my talents and that I approach it with those anxious and awful presentiments which greatness of the charge and the weakness of my powers so justly inspire. A rising nation spread over a wide and fruitful land, traversing all the seas with the rich productions of their industry, engaged in commerce with nations who feel power and forget right, advancing rapidly to destinies beyond the reach of mortal eye, when I contemplate these transcendent objects and see the honor, the happiness, and the hopes of this beloved country committed to the issue and the auspices of this day. I shrink from the contemplation and humble myself before the magnitude of the undertaking. Utterly indeed should I despair did not the presence of many whom I here see remind me that in the other high authorities provided by our Constitution, I shall find resources of wisdom, of virtue, and of zeal on which to rely under all difficulties. To you then, gentlemen, who are charged with sovereign functions of legislation, and to those associated with you, I look with encouragement for that guidance and support which may enable us to steer with safety the vessel in which we are all embarked amidst the conflicting elements of a troubled world. During the contest of opinion through which we have passed, the animation of discussions and of exertions has sometimes worn an aspect which would impose on strangers unused to think freely and to speak and to write what they think. But this being now decided by the voice of the nation, announced according to the rules of the Constitution, all will, of course, arrange themselves under the will of the law and unite in common efforts for the common good. All, too, will bear in mind the sacred principle that though the will of the majority is in all cases to prevail, there will be rightful and must be reasonable, that the minority possess their equal rights with equal law must protect and to violate would be oppression. Let us then, fellow citizens, unite with one heart and one mind. Let us restore to social intercourse that harmony and affection without which liberty and even life itself are but dreary things. And let us reflect that having banished from our land that religious intolerance under which mankind so long bled and suffered, we have yet gained little if we countenance a political intolerance as despotic, as wicked, and capable of as bitter and bloody persecutions. 
During the throes and convulsions of the ancient world, during the agonizing spasms of infuriated man, seeking through blood and slaughter his long-lost liberty, it was not wonderful that the agitation of the billows should reach even this distant and peaceful shore, that this should be more felt and feared by some and lost by others, and should divide opinions as to measures of safety. But every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. We have called by different names, brethren of the same principle. We are all Republicans. We are all Federalists. If, this, if there were any among us who wished to dissolve this union or to change its Republican form, let them stand undisturbed as monuments of the safety with which error of opinion may be tolerated, where reason is left free to combat it. I know indeed that some honest men fear that a Republican government cannot be strong, that this government is not strong enough, but would be a what would the honest patriot in the full tide of successful experiment abandon a government which has so far kept us free and firm on the theoretic and visionary fear that this government, the world's best hope, may be possibly want energy to preserve itself? I trust not. I believe this on the contrary. The strongest government on earth, I believe it's the only one where every man at the call of the law would fly to the standard of the law and would meet invasions of the public order as his own personal concern. Sometimes it is said that the man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? Or have we found angels in the forms of kings to govern him? Let history answer this question. This is a synopsis of the first inaugural address. You can find more printed on the audio print version on the CD. Thomas Jefferson's second inaugural address was exactly four years later on Monday, March 4, 1805. This followed an election under which the offices and the president and vice president were to be separately sought pursuant to the newly adopted 12th Amendment to the Constitution. George Clinton of New York was elected vice president under these circumstances. John Marshall again administered the oath in the Senate chamber at the Capitol. Proceeding fellow citizens to that qualification in which the Constitution acquires before my entrance on the charge again conferred on me, it is my duty to express the deep sense I entertain of this new proof of confidence from my fellow citizens at large, and the zeal with which it inspires me so to conduct myself as may best satisfy their just expectations. On taking the station on a former occasion, I declare the principles of which I believed it my duty to administer the affairs of our commonwealth. My conscience tells me I have on every occasion acted up to that declaration according to its obvious import and to the understanding of every candid mind. In the transaction of your foreign affairs, we have endeavored to cultivate the friendship of all nations, especially of those with which we have the most important relations. We have done them justice on all occasions, favored where favor was lawful and cherished mutual interests and intercourse on fair and equal terms. We are firmly convinced, and we act on that conviction, that with nations as with individuals, our interests soundly calculated will ever be found inseparable from our moral duties, and history bears witness to the fact that a just nation is trusted on its word when recourse is had to armaments and wars to bridle others. At home, fellow citizens, you best know whether we have done well or ill. The suppression of unnecessary offices, of useless establishments and expenses, enable us to discontinue our internal taxes. These, covering our land with officers and opening our doors to their intrusions, had already begun that process of domestic vexation, which once entered is scarcely to be restrained from reaching successively every article of property and produce. If among these taxes some minor ones fell, which had not been inconvenient, it was because their amount would not have paid the officers who collected them, and because if they had merit, the state authorities might adopt them instead of others less approved. 
The remaining revenue and consumption of foreign articles is paid chiefly by those who can afford to add foreign luxuries to domestic comforts, being collected on our seaboard and frontiers only, and incorporated with transaction of our mercantile citizens. It may be the pleasure and pride of America to ask what farmer, what mechanic, what laborer ever sees a tax gatherer of the United States. These contributions enable us to support the current expenses of the government, to fill our contracts with foreign nations, to extinguish the native right of soil within our limits, to extend those limits, and to apply such a surplus to our public debts as places at a short day their final redemption, in other words, full payment. And that redemption, once affected, the revenue thereby liberated, made by a just repartition of it among the states, and corresponding amendment of the Constitution be applied in time of peace to rivers, canals, roads, arts, manufacturers, education, and other great objects within each state. In time of war, if injustice by ourselves or others must sometimes produce war, increased as the same revenue will be increased by population and consumption and aided by other resources reserved for that crisis, it may meet within the year all the expenses of the year without encroaching on the rights of future generations by burdening them with the debt to the past. War will then be but a suspension of useful works and a return to a state of peace, a return to the progress of improvement. I have said, fellow citizens, that the income reserved and enabled us to extend our limits, but extension may possibly pay for itself before we are called on, and in the meantime, we will keep down the accruing interest. In all events, it will replace the advances we shall have made. I know that the acquisition of Louisiana had been disapproved by some from a candid apprehension that the enlargement of our territory would endanger its union. But who can limit the extent which a federate principle may operate effectively? The larger our association, the less it will be shaken by local passions. And in any view, is it not better that the opposite bank of the Mississippi should be settled by our own brethren and children than by strangers of another family? with which should we be more likely to live in harmony and friendly intercourse. In matters of religion, I have considered that it is free exercise as placed by the Constitution independent of the powers of the general government. I have therefore undertaken on no occasion to prescribe the religious exercises suited to it, but have left them as the Constitution found them, under the direction and discipline of the Church or state authorities acknowledged by the several religious societies. At this point, you can read the remainder on the audio print function on our CD. Jefferson's 10 Canons for Observation in Practical Life, February 21st, 1825. One, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Two, never trouble another for what you can do yourself. Three, never spend your money before you have it. Four, never buy what you do not want because it's cheap, it will be dear to you. Five, Pride costs us more than hunger, thirst, and cold. Six, we never repent of having eaten too little. Seven, nothing is as troublesome that we do willingly. Eight, how much pain have cost us the evils which have never happened? Nine, take things always by their smooth handle. Ten, when angry, count ten before you speak. If very angry, count one hundred. Jefferson quotes, I would rather be exposed to the inconveniences attending too much liberty than those attending too small a degree of it. Next, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time, the blood of patriots and tyrants. Next, it behooves every man who values liberty of conscience for himself to resist invasions of it in the case of others, or their case may, by change of circumstances, 
become his own. The great object of my fear is the federal judiciary, that body like gravity, ever acting with noiseless foot and alarming advance, gaining ground step by step and holding what it gains, is engulfing insidiously the special governments into the jaws of that which feeds them. End of quote. This is a clear allusion to people's fears of the encroachment of the legal establishment then and now. Next. The judiciary of the United States is the subtle core of sappers and miners constantly working underground to undermine the foundation of our confederated fabric. A judiciary independent of a king or executive alone is a good thing, but independence of the will of the nation is a solecism, at least in a Republican government. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. Where the press is free and every man able to read, all is safe. The firmness with which the people have withstood the late abuses of the press, the discernment they have manifested between truth and falsehood, show that they may be safely trusted to hear everything true and false and to form a correct judgment between them. The basis of our government's being the opinion of the people, the very first object should be to keep that, that right. And we're left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government. I should not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. But I should mean that every man should receive those papers and be capable of reading them. This line is often quoted without the critical qualifying last line, every man should receive those papers and be capable of reading them. In questions of power, then, let no more be heard of confidence in man but bind them down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. You have not been mistaken in supposing my views and feelings to be in favor of the abolition of war, of my disposition to maintain peace until its condition shall be made less tolerable than that of war itself. The world has had proofs, and more perhaps than it has approved. I hope it is practical by improving the minds and morals of society to lessen the disposition to war, but of, of its abolition, I despair. Peace with all nations and the right which that gives us with respect to all nations are our object. That peace and safety and concord may be the portion of our native land and be long enjoyed by our fellow citizens is the most ardent wish of my heart. And if I can be instrumental in procuring or preserving them, I shall think I have not lived in vain. Believing that the happiness of mankind is best promoted by the useful pursuits of peace I have used my best endeavors to keep our country uncommitted to the troubles which afflict Europe and which assail us on every side. End of quote. The objective of so many presidents that followed Mr. Jefferson. The happiest moments of my life have been the few I'm past at home in the heart of my family. Public employment contributes neither to advantage nor happiness. It is but honorable exile from one's family and affairs. But friendship is precious, not only in the shade, but in the sunshine of life. And thanks to a benevolent arrangement of things, the greater part of life is sunshine. This was written just four years after his only wife died. When a man assumes a public trust, he should consider himself as a public property. The second office of this government is honorable and easy. The first is but a splendid misery. This is a unique view of the presidential role, and more so the vice presidential role, from an occupant. I wish it were possible to obtain a single amendment to our Constitution. I would be willing to depend on that alone for the reduction of the administration of our government to the general when principles of its constitution. 
I mean an additional article taking from the federal government the power of borrowing. The maxim of buying nothing without the money in our pockets to pay for it would make of our country one of the happiest on earth. Except, as he came to learn, when it really matters, such as with the Louisiana Purchase. Again, an instance of flexibility of the mind in Mr. Jefferson as he changed his mind on this point and allowed the purchase of the Louisiana Territory. If we can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them, they must become happy. Sounds a lot like Ronald Reagan here. Were we directed from Washington when to sow and when to reap, we would soon want bread. Sounds more like Reagan, even louder this time. That to compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he dis disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. This relates to the freedom of religion, but could for required union, company, or other organizational contributions. To draw around the whole nation the strength of the general government as a barrier against fellow foes, these are the functions of the general government who have a right to call. The question whether one generation of men has a right to bind another seems never to have been started either on this or the other side of the water. I set out on this ground, which I suppose to be self-evident, that the earth belongs to the living, that the dead have neither powers nor rights over it. I am not an advocate for frequent changes in laws and constitutions, but laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind. Not to do so would be to require a man to wear still the coat which fitted him when a boy and as a civilized society to remain ever under the regime of their ancestors. A strict observance of the written law is doubtless one of the highest duties of a good citizen, but it is not the highest. To lose our country by a scrupulous adherence to written law would be to lose the law itself with life, liberty, property, and all those who are enjoying them with us, thus absurdly sacrificing the end to the means. And lastly, let us provide in our Constitution for its revision at stated periods. But this momentous question, like a fireball in the night, awakened and terrified me. This was stated with regard to slavery in the Missouri question. James Baldwin used the phrase fireball in the night for one of his most profound books. I confess I have the same fears for our South American brethren. The qualifications for self-government society are not unique and are not innate. They are the result of habit and long training. And for these, they will require time and probably much suffering. End of quote. This has turned out to be true for South America as well as many other nations. I have come to resolution myself, as I hope every good citizen will, never again to purchase any article of foreign manufacture which can be had of an American make. Architecture is worth great attention. It is among the most important arts, and it is desirable to introduce taste into art which shows so much. We've included original source material or readings of various key texts contributed by Thomas Jefferson. We started with the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, then the Declaration of Independence, about half of each of his two inaugural addresses, all of which indicate his original thinking. In the quotation section, we provided exact quotations so you could learn about what Jefferson said and thought, not just what others such as ourselves said he thought. Fewer people than you think have read or heard these four documents. This puts you at the head of the class. Use your acquired knowledge wisely and re-listen to these before exams or discussions on the various subjects. They were torn 
from the land that was nurtured for them. They stood by while strangers and friends bought their souls and what was theirs for many a year was in minutes born from their hands from riches to rags And cry for their love forever, torn from the land. Thomas Jefferson once stated that the widely dispersed ownership of land by the tiller is the American safeguard for democracy. And small landowners are the most precious parts of a state. And in the 1860s, 80% of the population lived in rural areas. About four million farms existed in the United States, and most of those were family farms. The farming peak was in 1935, when approximately 6.8 million farms dotted the United States. With the advancement of technology, life for the farmer became easier. For example, in the early 1800s, it took about 373 hours to produce 100 bushels of wheat, while in 1959, the same task is performed in about 18 hours. This increase in production was heavily due to new machinery, fuel, fertilizer, and many other chemicals. But these costs are expensive, and with their introduction, there came the need for a significant increase in capital investment. This, in turn, created new guidelines for operating credit during the growth cycle. In the 1970s, the farmer was told to plant from fence row to fence row. He was told to get big or get out. He was told to quit repairing old equipment and buy new. He was told to buy and clear more and more land. And the farm credit system was right there, ready to approve new and bigger loans. The American farmer trusted in their creditors as they have for many years. They trusted that they were doing what was right for their farms and what was right for America. They were told they could feed the whole world. Production was up. Profits were up. Land values were up. Times were good. When suddenly, in the early 1980s, the mood sharply changed. A drought hit in 1981 and land values dropped while interest rates soared and crop prices fizzled to all-time lows. And then, in 1985, the current budget director, David Stockman, stated that the farm problem was a result of too many farms. This attitude was a slap in the face to the American farmer, because for the first time in the history of our nation, the current political and economical belief was for the dispossession of thousands of farm families, all under the guise of good economics. How can this be? How can we be allowing the rural way of life to be systematically destroyed? Farmers are being torn from their land. Loans are being accelerated and called due. Those very same farms are being resold at half the original mortgage value with less interest payment. If the farmer had been offered that deal, he could have kept the farm that belonged to his family for generations. Why are we allowing the death of the American farmer? Now these very same loan officers that once nearly demanded the farmer take out these large loans are calling that farmer a poor manager, 
a poor manager for taking out loans the loan officers told him to? Does the farmer control interest rates? Does the farmer control land values? Does the farmer control crop prices? The answer to all of these questions is no. And if the farmer can't control these factors, then how can the farmer be told to accept the blame for his own demise? The death of the American farmer is not the fault of the American farmer. And this genocide must be stopped. It's not a farm problem. It's a national problem. It's a problem with all of America. And it affects every person that's living in this country. And when they take control of the production of food, they will be able to control people. And this is what it's all about, is the being able to control people. Herb Green stands by with his wife and daughter as the land that has been in his family for generations is auctioned off. He's 66 years old and has farmed this land all of his life. In fact, he was plowing this very same field back in December of 41 when the news came that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. Herb signed up with the Army right away and was sent to the South Pacific in one of the first drafts. Yeah, I risked my life for my own country. That's the reason I went. If the country ain't worth fighting for, it ain't worth living in. And so for four straight years, Herb fought his way through the South Pacific. He rushed pillboxes, dug into foxholes, did what he could to push the Japanese further and further back. Herb was fighting for America. He was fighting for the protection of democracy and for the freedom of all people. America had called him, and he answered that call without hesitation by putting his own life on the line. Never had a three-day pass or a furlough in four years. I was at her machine where they dropped the atomic bomb. That's all over. Yeah, I've served my country, and I think I, I can stand up and say I'm proud of it. And I've raised food for this country all my life. But that wasn't the answer, I guess. I'm, in, I'm selling everything now because I can't make it pay off. Here's a man who's given his life to America, and yet today, all he has to show for it is a flooded homestead and some rusted old equipment. All of his land and any worthwhile equipment has been sold, with the proceeds going to lending institutions. And why? Because Herb Green couldn't get a fair price for his crops. It's just that simple. Well, what's going on, America's is selling out America. We're bringing everybody else in here and giving them all a head start. It's like this. I fought Japan with a gun. Now they come back here and whip us with a pencil. Of course, I'm six, going to be 66 this year. And you, they don't want to hire anybody at that age. They kind of, it's pretty hard to get a job when you get my age. At a time in his life when he should be considering retirement, instead, he finds himself with barely anything to call his own. And yet Herb Green gave the best years of his life to his country. Whose fault was it that the farmer was losing the farm? Is it his fault? Quite to the contrary. It's the fault of the people who brought about the inflation and then the deflation to intentionally take away the farmer's farm because when you control food, you control the people of a nation. It's not the fault of the farmer that he's losing his farm. It's the fault of the people who intentionally, by design plan, are stealing the farms of America for the purpose of being able to control the food and the people and the farmers. Now, the people in the city think they're all right right now. 
But wait two to five years from now when it so shows up at the grocery store shelf and prices go sky high and food is lacking, and then they'll know that the same people that control the farmer and stole his farm is likewise controlling the city person now. On the one hand, you've got the analysis that talks about adjustment. On the other hand, you've got the analysis that talks about genocide and destroying not only the rural way of life, the family farmers, but also total rural communities. Because presently there's one farm going under every six minutes. And for every five to seven farms it goes under, a business on Main Street goes under. So we'll see uh, an increasing number of ghost towns across uh, rural, uh, rural America. And we're seeing this happen uh, in the heartland of, of America now. Streets that were once bustling with heavy traffic on a busy Saturday morning now lay quiet. Sidewalks that were once pounded by the feet of shoppers are now overgrown with weeds and litter. Storefronts that were once made attractive for the buyers are now bolted and locked up. And the rural community as we once knew it is dying. Small towns that dot the Midwest farming belt are literally turning to dust. These towns depended upon the farmer's dollar and the farmer has no dollars to spend. And with the farmers hurting and rural business and communities hurting, the banking industry is also hurting. For over the past four years, over 380 banks in this country have been declared insolvent. So if the farmer is allowed to die, much more than just his farm will die with him. The government program they've come out with is not helping the farmer. It, it, we're forced into a situation where we need the government payments to survive. But that is not helping us. It is putting us further under the control of the government. It's putting us further under the control of lending institutions. It is putting the farmer in a position where he is not working for himself. He is working for the banks. So the local banker, don't always blame him for your problems. It goes back further than local banker. In fact, it goes all the way back to 1913. The week before Christmas, most congressmen had gone home. They had made sure that just enough stayed in Washington to pass what they wanted to pass in the form of the Federal Reserve Act. The Federal Reserve Act gave a private entity the power over the American dollar. Now, that year, Mr. Lindbergh, the father of the great aviator, who had flown his aircraft successfully so much around the world, he was the head of the banking committee of the House of Representatives and was so disturbed over what was happening because he knew the issues involved in the Federal Reserve until he wrote a book warning the American people that the Federal Reserve could be the destruction uh, of our economy. But no one listened to him. And the Federal Reserve Act went through and very few people thought much about it until the American dollar started going haywire. And then what do we find out that the Federal Reserve really is? Some have investigated it and it found out that the Federal Reserve is really not an agency of the federal government at all. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned corporation, and the people who own the majority of the stock in the regional banks of the Federal Reserve control the currency of America. Who are those individuals? Well, in our research, we found out that over one half of them, owners of the Federal Reserve, are not even citizens of the United States of America. Yet they control the interest, 
and the general welfare of our country financially. So, who is destroying the farmer? It goes much further back than the local bank. It goes back to who controls the interest rate? The Federal Reserve. Who controls inflation? The Federal Reserve. Who controls the dollar in relation to foreign currencies? The Federal Reserve. America is going to land up with land in the hands of a few. It'll be probably corporations. And when they get that, then uh, America's going to know what hunger is because those people are going to, uh, whenever that comes to that, they're going to sit down and they're going to tell you how much food they're going to produce at what price. And you, you pay it or you don't. If uh, our government can bail out Chrysler Corporation and can save Continental Bank in Chicago, bail out New York City,